We're beginning. This is the beginning. We said hello. This is the beginning. But I feel like maybe do the listeners want, maybe the listeners are so in need of instruction, just like everyone needs an intro song and names. Maybe they also need to know when to start paying attention. Ready, set, now start paying attention. Begin. You probably have, if we're being realistic, you probably have like five or six minutes for you to start paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of... (laughs) I, I heard the, t- the term from Hollywood Handbook, front porching. There's a lot of front porching going on before the, the meat and that, potatoes. I, that feels racial to me. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's you. That's yeah. you bringing something to the table, I, I think. Know. That's you right I, there, son. Yeah, that's I'm you sorry. bringing that into I don't know. Thing. I'd be curious to know the origins of that term. All right. Uh, but, yeah. Welcome to the Spinecrackers podcast, li- listeners. Yep. Uh, what? <laughs> Sorry, I said I said it or originated in Oakland. Probably I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> no, I don't even get it. <laughs> off to a bad start. Yeah, off to a bad yeah, start. Off to a bad start. Rebegin. So I'm so I glad I told people not to pay attention for five minutes. Yeah, uh, that was a trick. Yeah. Now begin. So yeah, now begin paying attention. This is the Spinecrackers podcast where we take a book every episode and uh of our choosing of one of our choosing and uh, we choose the books for the podcast no one else does and uh hey some people have like listener choices and whatever and if we had listeners maybe we would do that but it's a possible it's a possible thing in the if you if you're listening you want us to read a book uh, let us know um but uh no promises obviously but nah. um Anyway, yeah. We we won't read read it. We read a friggin' book, and we talk about it for a long time. Yeah. You know the spiel. Follow our Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to our YouTube channel, dude. We almost have have 100 YouTube subscribers. Oh, (laughs) shit. That's crazy to me. So let's get that into the three digits with this episode. If you're listening... Two minutes in, stop what you're doing, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's a lot of the podcast episodes, but we also do some unique videos that are only on YouTube, and we're going to be doing more of those soon. So, And 50 of those subscribers are my own personal uh, Google Sock accounts. puppet accounts. <laughs> yeah. And only 15 are mine. need more. Yeah. we got to boost the numbers. And, and they're also paid for just people that, you know. Like Fiverr people that we just pay to. All of our all of our Patreon money from our three patrons. Shout out to our patrons on Patreon. Goes to pay for YouTube sock puppet subscribers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listen, it's like when you choose your like when you're investing right online and you and you you can choose to have the uh, earnings from the dividends, 
be reinvested. It's a it's yeah. we're it's a long strategy. on us. Ghetto <coughs> <that a> term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. That's uh, true. I'm an, I'm an idiot. I have no idea what I'm talking about with that. Um, but I'm Matthew. I'm Gabriel. I'm Paul. Leo. Paul Leo. And today uh, we will be talking about uh, correction by Thomas Bernhard. Be- Bernhard. Yeah, I'm not going to do the German flourish. I don't know. I'm going to turn my AC on. That sounds better it's rather than off. Oh, sounds about the same to me. Oh, it hasn't turned off oh. fully yet. Nice I mean, and quiet. Oh, that's quieter. Not, that's yeah. Oh, okay, way better. Okay. It's undeniably yeah. quieter. Can't I can't <laughs> deny it. It's not, not even that cold out. Dude, and just good. to to address my own sound issues, I'm in an empty room, and that's why I've sounded so bad on the last few episodes. We moved, as some of you know, but I have uh, a sock and a beanie over my mic right now, and I think it's helping a little bit, hopefully. Right. And if you want to play a prior episode, maybe the last two, uh, you can really do a nice sound comparison if you're if you really want to know. Yeah, someone let us know in the YouTube comments. Oh, I also Actually, just I also just want to say I checked. Uh, I was able to check our Apple Podcast page today, even though I don't have iTunes, and we have two five star reviews. Holy shit! So let's yeah. boost that up, motherfuckers. Probably yeah, both. We're of trying your to moms. signal boost right now. We got to beef up all the, the metrics and, and, and algo shit. Please. Yeah. yeah. My mom does not know how to use iTunes, that's for sure. How so many one star reviews do we have? Zero. We have two oh. reviews and they're both five stars. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> be funny if it was like, and we have 40 one star reviews. Yeah. <laughs> it's all Cliff. It's all Cliff sock puppeting. <laughs> yeah, it's Cliff Sargent is sock puppeting us, dude. Cliff Sark puppet? <laughs> Bloodless fucking podcast. Uh, so bloodless. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. Um, all right, yeah. So Matt, this book is your pick. He's he was he was Austrian, right? He wasn't like German German. Yeah. yeah, he was Austrian. I don't know if that's controversial to say either, but yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Shout outs to all our German listeners. Sorry. I just mean they're different countries. And yes, he yes. wasn't born in Germany. That's all I mean. Yeah. Like, no, he is. Or, or no, he was actually born in Holland, wasn't he? But he grew up in Austria. Oh yeah. boy, I didn't. I did zero. Okay, it's literally the first line on my edition on the about the author section. So. Oh, okay. He, yeah. He was yes in 1931. You're right. Grew up in Austria. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, this was my choice. Um, Why? Again, not, not not a not a um, not a very interesting rationale as to. Why it was chosen by me? I I, I had read um, Concrete in college. I forget literally everything about it. Uh, and actually, it was a book we had read way back for the show that reminded me that I like still wanted to read it and like prioritized it. It was um, if you remember, it was, no, it was Erv Giber. Nice. It was oh, okay. the friend, the friend who did not would not save my life or did to, not save my yeah life? to did the friend who did not save my life yeah. Uh, who, Colin, good book, good Gibert. episode. Go listen to it. Gibert's, uh like, <laughs> his kind of, like, um, you know, joking sort of lapse into Bernhard's style uh, 
was pretty funny, and I, I feel like I have a very similar. At he least references this. Bernhard by name, right? A couple times. Yes, he. he it was. He's like an author. It, it's funny because he has a very like Bernhard style relationship to Bernhard, and yeah. like, uh, which is that he's like, I hate this man's writing style, and yet. I'm obsessed. Like I, I need to keep reading, and it, uh, and he go. He went on that little tangent where he writes in Bernhard style in that book. Right. Uh, oh yeah, and I remember zoning that part out because I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Huh. Foreshadowing, <laughs> Paul. Yeah. Hmm. Small preview. Hmm. Uh, so it reminded me, you know, that like I wanted to like check out some other work of his, and this is like, uh. you know, very boringly like this is. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the one. This is like the one. This is like considered his like masterpiece, basically. Oh, right? is it really? Okay, because I know that uh, Cliff uh, has read Loser, which is I think his more famous book. Because people are look at the title and they're like, "Must be cool. Must be edgy." Yeah, Loser. loser. Yeah, it's like that Beck L7 song. Weenie. Yeah. <laughs> which I almost chose. Yeah. I almost chose Loser. But they're they're all you know they're all books roughly about the same thing I would say like thematically it's 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 people obsessed with ideas and uh, you know uh, Bernhard went to music school and uh, Loser's funny because it's like two guys that go to school with Glenn Gould the pianist. Wait, have you read that? I thought you said you only read the other one. I only read Concrete. Okay, but you know a little bit about it. But just the concept is funny to me. Yeah, I read the concept. It actually looked funny. Yeah, the concept's funny. Yeah, he's, like, so good that one of them kills himself and the other is just, like, obsessively making fun. Mediocre, just making fun of, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Gould, but, like, you know, because he can never achieve what he has. That sounds about right. Um, So, anyway, yeah, just basically interested. Uh. So this, when did this book come out? 1980? Early, early 80s? Late 70s? 79. Yeah. 79. And uh, I don't know where this falls in terms of Bernhard's corpus. He died young, right? He had, uh, he had like lung, lung issues his whole life. I think he had tuberculosis when he was young and then he was diagnosed with some weird, some weird lung disease. Yeah, he died Uh, in a big jeweler. Big jeweler. Dude, Bernhard (laughs) was jeweling fucking hard. He was Julian Baron really Hard, dude. Yeah, he was 1989. He died, so uh, that 58. That's 58. Young. Yeah, yeah, that's young. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what uh, what the disease is that he died of. I saw. I, I saw it, but I didn't know what it was. It was some. It's some weird, like lung sarcoidosis. Which I don't know what it is. Which was the, he was diagnosed the year before this book was published in seventy eight. So this is the last one. Let's see. Uh, is that like question. a European disease? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. It sounds like you no, smoked this was, a lot of something and you get it. it, yeah. it it's actually weird. This was one of his first novels. He wrote most of his output between his diagnosis and when he died. Uh. This is his this is his fourth novel. Um, oh, that's actually super interesting. Which is interesting, yeah. So, Concrete was eighty two. The Loser was eighty three. Um, Old Masters was eighty five. Extinction eighty six. Yeah. So, that kind of like rolls it in with uh, the Guibert book in a weird way. Again. Yeah, yeah. 
I wonder if that was something we didn't pick up on that was being kind of was why he was interested in that writer. Yeah, that's possible. Um, so yeah, uh, interesting figure, Bernhard for sure. Super, super controversial in in Austria. Just, really? J- well, I mean, not not particularly controversial, but he just like if if this book is is representative, like Did not like thirty percent of the text of this book is about how Austria sucks shit. Yeah, and how it's just full of like idiot fucking you know dumb dumbs who the only thing they're good at is committing suicide and. <laughs> Or are driving people to suicide with their like just <laughs> disgusting ignorance, right? And, yeah, right. So it's <laughs> and he in in his will, I read this. Uh, in, in his will, he he wrote that none of his he also wrote a lot of plays. He was a playwright. None of his works are to be published by an Austrian publisher or state <laughs> or and none of his plays are to be staged in Austria ever again. Holy oh shit, my god! Dude. Yeah, he fucking hated that. So place. he just despised his home country, uh, which I think is really interesting. And of course, that's something we'll we'll be uh, talking about. Um, you so know, I assume we'll he didn't live in Austria book. then. After a point in his life, he like didn't live there. Uh, no, I mean, as far, I mean, as far as I know, he lived in Austria. Most yeah, of his he life, was, he was there. He died, he, 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 died the he died in Austria for sure. Yeah, what a masochist fool. Okay, I was just reading I, a little bit more. I guess that part of his will was annulled by his heir. Uh, but yeah, that was in the original will. Was that no publication of his of his currently unpublished works or staging of his plays was to be allowed in Austria. <laughs> Someone made a correction, I guess. Someone made a correction. That's right. Yes. Nice. Yeah. So this guy, you know, Austria does get a uh, roughhoused in this book. Uh, but also and, uh, just kind of humanity in general. It's very misanthropic, I would say. Pessimistic. Overall. Yeah. Gloomy, gloomy. Although, you know, I again, haven't read a ton of his other stuff, but like, at least if uh, uh, w- when you take like this book in isolation, which you, I don't want to do, but it's what I have to do. Uh, it's like, it, it it seems to be a little bit making fun of. Uh, I would say the main character or the main subject, Roythamer, the likes you know, quote unquote genius. Uh, Give Natural it a little. Scientist. Give it the old college try, Matt. I, I, let's let's at least go with Roy Dahmer. Roy Dahmer. Roy Dahmer. Roy Dahmer. Roy Dahmer. You say Roy Dahmer. Roy Dahmer. I'm gonna call him Roy Dahmer. No, God, what is, that sounds like a Shakespeare character. How should I say it? Roy Dahmer. Okay. That's Americanized enough. Or you? Okay. Could, I, I was it's saying still Roy wrong, Hammer. but it's better. It might be Roy wrong. Hammer. I might just be totally wrong anyway. But I was reading it as Roy Dahmer. Okay, what if I just looked it up right now? You won't. <laughs> dude, you fucking bet? I bet you won't. <laughs> uh, dude, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, I wish you would. I wish you would. <clears throat> um, so I can't turn my But anyway, that, yeah, that's how I was always pronouncing it. And, and in my head, anyway. But he's, he's the main sort of figure and subject, but he's not the narrator. We have a, a, a weird, unnamed narrator who was uh, one of Roy Dahmer's 
childhood friends, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you're getting um, you're getting like this misanthropic viewpoint, very specifically, I'd say by the latter half, and uh, I I I think I have a hunch that that is basically the tone of a lot of other Bernhard works, um, but at, at least as far as this book goes. Um, I, I feel like it's making, f- it feels a little bit more like it's just poking fun at uh, the character of Roy Tomer. You know? Like. I did not get that necessarily at all, but no? we, can, we can maybe get into it more. Well, I feel like there's a switch because <laughs> it's like you have the like outside perspective and then you have like uh, in the first half, it's like the dude who has come to. Uh, after an illness and, and during his recovery to like sort through Roy Thomas' works right. and whatever. And then you have like the works themselves he's sifting through and kind of reading and annotating. Uh, and so I, I just feel like, you know, we can get into the details later, but like in the first half, Roy Thomas is like this, um, you know, too good for this world, angelic, I would almost say, intellectual person who's so pure of heart and trying the, to do these things. The, like, the narrator is a simp. For, for Roy Thomer. A hundred percent. For sure. Yeah. And then when you read the shit that Roy Thomer's saying, it becomes uh, a little more crass and like Freudian and just kind of um, enmeshed in, in the in human messiness. And, he, and you end up seeing like, he's kind of just like a bitter weirdo. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think, okay, so... I guess to, just to talk about the plot, such as it is a little bit, basically, right? Like, the book is split up, or who wants to do this? Paul, I want you to do this. Why? It's not my pick. I know, but I... I okay, fine. It's not your pick. You're right. It's not That's fair. That's not traditional. But I know. I just know you didn't like it, so I wanted to hear... No, I didn't. Hear no. You. All right, Matt. Talk us through, like, what the plot of the book is. I'm getting Roy Tummy. From Roy Tommy? I'm gonna that say can't be right. Roy Tamer. I'm just going to say Roy Tamer. There you go. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the run through of the book. Uh, is the um, is the main character ever named at any? No, point? unnamed, unnamed narrator. Unnamed narrator. Uh, he was a childhood uh, friend of Roy Tamer. Right? Yeah, we found out yes. later. Uh, arrives. At uh, Huller. Huller, yeah, I just said Huller. Who's Huller? basically the third character of significance in the book. Who, right, who, three, who, it's three childhood friends. Huller was like um, putting Reutemer up in uh, a room, basically. A garret is what it's called. And, and I don't know exactly what a garret is. but It's, like, um, it's just like another word for an attic. Okay. Uh so that Roy Tamer could do uh, conduct studies or whatever. Uh, Roy Tamer has uh, killed himself, and in the wake of Roy Tamer's death, the unnamed narrator is um, taking an opportunity that he arrived at through an unnamed illness that he's recovering from uh, to, like, undertake the process of, of I don't know, like... Writing and documenting the legacy of Roy Tamer as which, a person, which Roy Tamer specifically like left to him. Like Roy Tamer left 
his friend, the narrator, all of his unfinished work, all of his papers. They're both, and they're both academics, right? In some capacity. Roy Thomer was a scientist who was working at Cambridge. And then the narrator, I think we're supposed to... You don't get much. You don't get a ton, but I think he was also in a related field. I think we find out towards the end of the book, it's really only mentioned once, that Roy Thomer was studying like gene mutations and stuff. He was a biologist, biologist, His academic work. Yeah. Um, And I, yeah, you really don't get much in terms of like the perspective of the person who is essentially narrating everything. Except that he loves Roy Thomer. Yes, he really does. Uh, So the first, the book split in two. The first part of the book is, um, is the narrator more or less describing like his feelings about what he's about to do. Uh, and describing like where he's found himself, he's staying with Holer in uh, Holer's house in the uh, Orok Valley, uh, the Orok Gorge, and there's like this like waterfall going through it, and there's this constant rush of water, uh, which is a place in Austria, um, I guess. I tried to find it, and I couldn't. Like, there is, a, I, I think, an Oroch River, but I couldn't find it. But, like, all the pictures I was able to find, it looks like a muddy, shitty little creek. And I couldn't find, like, anything about, like, a gorge or... It could be a joke. You know? Yeah. So, right. It, which, in and of itself, kind of makes sense about, when you think about uh, Bernhard's attitude towards Austria, that it's like <laughs> yeah. this, They, you know, he's kind of like overblowing this tiny little river into the, some huge, mighty da-da-da-da-da, which may be a commentary on what he thinks the sort of general Austrian national ethos or mentality yes, is. I have yes. no idea. But I don't know if the Oroch River, as it's described in this book, exists in reality. There is something called that, I think. But... Yeah. So so he's staying in the very room that uh, Reutemer used to, like, get away to when he was feeling sick at Cambridge to create this um, structure for his sister. There's all of this um, horrific and potentially falsified family <laughs> or like overblown family shit that's also going on that I thought was funny. Uh, but yeah, so the, the narrator is um, just sort of describing like his own feelings about it and his, his subjective state and, 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 and all of this. And then there's uh, him tackling the material left, specifically a document that Reutemer left and brutally edited from 800 pages to like 200 to 20. Yeah. Uh, and, so if and, only, and then there's... If only he did that, if only Bernhard did that with this book. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to your, your criticisms. Uh <laughs> So then it's like then like the last half is like just basically it's kind of from Reutemer's perspective in the scraps of of the this giant document that he left behind with like a it, it there's this refrain that says so Reutemer in 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 like after a sentence to indicate like so said Reutemer and then there's like these uh ludicrous change where it's like if Reutemer is referencing uh his father or a friend it's like so blah 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 so blah 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 and then it's all 
perceived through the narrator who occasionally pop like pipes up and says also what he's thinking about it. Well, it'll it just kind of ends say, there. So Reutemer and underline, right? Yeah. So you get there. some of the so, yeah, like the it's not even commentary, but it's just noting when Reutemer has underlined something or or crossed something out or whatever. Yeah. So you're essentially just getting like a, a second and occasionally third hand interpretation of some scraps of text left by Reutemer posthumously. And that's the end. And, you know, you, you gradually, throughout the second half, start to find out more about sort of Roy Thomer's childhood, growing up in a, you know, wealthy family on a, like, a, a sort of old school, like, estate slash, like, castle called Altensam. Yeah. Uh, where his family had sort of, you know, tr- traditionally lived, and they have farming interests and mining interests and blah, 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 blah. Um, and his kind of, you know, various uh, fights and, and feelings about his father and his mother and his sister and his two brothers. Um, because, of course, his sister is the fourth probably important character in the book, right? Uh, totally, yeah, yeah. Who, aside from the narrator, Roy Thomer himself, Holler, um, and, then, and then his sister, because... Roy Thomer's sort of obsession that comes through in the second half of the book is the the building of what he calls the cone, which is <laughs> this sort of ideal architectural structure that he wants to build for his sister to live in forever, right, basically. Right. And yep. um, he wants and to it's... build it in the exact sort of mathematical center of this forest, the Kabernauser Forest. Yep. And uh, he, you know, he does, actually. We don't, if this all happens before the story begins, right? Because mm. Roy Thomer's dead. But he does wind up building it, and she does wind up living there, but dies, like, basically instantly because she hates it so much. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and the, her death and is he... what precipitates Roy Thomer's own suicide, which precipitates the narrator becoming the the sort of executor or the inheritor of Roy Thomer's, you know, uh, papers. And what I like, this, this emerges like very slowly because the entire novel is uh, an unbroken, almost 200 or 300 page block of text. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we haven't well, the only this the only like 45 the only, minutes in. The only break is, it's 25 <laughs> minutes. Slow your roll, Paul. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're doing right. good, actually. The only um, right. break is the two se- is the, the half of the book between the first half, which is Holder's Garrett, and the second half, which is called Sifting and Sorting. Yes. Uh, so, you know, you, at first, you, you don't really know, like, what's become of the structure or the, you know, both are dead and you can, and it's just, I, I thought it was funny. Like you can just assume she like fucking hated it. But like the way that uh, Roy Tomer like talks about it in the second half, he's just like, it was, um it was actually a hundred percent perfect for her. And I was, I knew she would be um, in a perfect state of bliss when she entered the structure. <laughs> and ultimately that is of course deadly. So it makes sense that she would have died. Yes. Uh, because she was so happy with the place, she died of joy. <laughs> like him just describing that, and like that—that's towards the end when you start to like realize that um, 
this man who I think in the first half is is painted more saintly uh, is um, or at least at least as a you know respectable if eccentric you know visionary. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like that's the emphasis in the first half. Um, this visionary, this man uh, of of very like crystalline genius. Uh, just trying in a disgusting world to realize a vision of purity. You know? I actually think and that... To make a cone for his sister. A cone. <laughs> I actually think that this... <laughs> I actually think that this book is Bernhard talking about David Foster Wallace writing Infinite Jest. <laughs> I would say it's more like the... Uh, the pale king or whatever. Yeah. But whatever, that didn't get like, finished. Yeah. So maybe I don't right. know. How the it cone works. was finished and it's perfect. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's mean, Gabe. Uh, too soon? You're be- too soon? No. no. It's been it's two whatever, two thousand eight, whatever. But I do think uh, I do think Paul's probably right. We should probably talk about the writing a little more in detail before we go deep deeper. And yeah, this was I made fun like of for, for most people picking up this book that'll be the most prominent thing about it so the yeah, most off-putting thing probably it. too off-putting for sure what, what okay so what do you think paul what was your experience yeah, i mean i absolutely writing? hated the writing style for sure how would you that describe is, it what would you say about it i would say it's it it kind of reminded me of like an in-depth analysis of one's own thoughts in the way that the mezzanine was um but from a much different angle, more anxious angle, um, more repetitive than than Baker was, and a lot less characterization, even though there was barely any characterization in the mezzanine also. But the, the, it, it's like the darker side of an anxious brain, I would say. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think... Yeah, Baker Baker's writing I think was is much more um, academic in a way, uh, in that it's very detail oriented, very like moment to moment. There's footnotes and there's this and there's that, and obviously this is much more kind it's of relentless. Yes, it's you know I actually felt reading it that you know I. Bernhard's musical background really came through for me in reading the book because it's so rhythmic and there's so much, like you said, Paul, so much repetition and so much kind of like (laughs) phraseology that recurs and themes in, not themes in a literary, literary sense, but themes in a musical sense that almost sort of like, like come back over and over again, particularly arguably in the second half, but I think in the first half too. Um, but in the second yeah, half, I right. think is where it really sort of starts to come, come through like really heavily, but it, it's much more, I don't know. Like I, I would, I would say that's one of the differences between like Baker and, and Bernhard is that Baker's writing is a little more academic, a little more kind of um, matter of fact. And Bernhard's writing is, very musical it's very visceral there's See, i i have the ex- exact opposite opinion about how a book can be musical or not like i remember reading an article by uh paul shit we read his book i like him a lot paul oster oster and he talked yeah. about how he likes books that feel and he tries to write 
in a musical way. And I mean, I, I see what you're saying, Gabe, but it, to me, it's more like uh, Baker did like a one to one to how beats fit into music and how words can fit into a book that in that in the same way a beat can fit or a note can fit into a musical uh, performance or whatever. It, to me, it's just like it was anti rhythm. It was like uh, bad jazz. Reading this felt like bad jazz. I don't know. It was just I, really difficult to read. And it, like, well, okay, so that's another thing that I want to talk about is this this concept of difficulty because uh, – so I do think just to, on your last point, I guess, before we move on or maybe, Matt, if you have something you want to say about the, the writing style and what we've been talking about. But I definitely felt like I was getting into a – I wasn't quite bobbing my head, but I was pretty fucking close at points through this book where it's like – so Roy Thomer and da 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 and da 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 and so Roy Thomer and da 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 and da 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 and so Roy Thomer. Like I, I, I really felt the propulsive, rhythmic, like musical quality of the way that he was writing. It didn't, it didn't feel random to me in that way. Uh, like I get what you're saying in the sense that I think there's one you could sort of, you know, talk about, you know, jazz or even like. Jazz is obviously rhythmic, rhythmic, but even like kind of like free jazz, you know, like really weird atonal stuff. This didn't strike me that way. I did feel like there was a rhythm here. I don't know. Weird. And we also read, I mean, like we did read another pretty importantly music influenced novel, Bass Cathedral, which is like yes. overtly about jazz. And that's also a novel that I would never regard as uh, similar to this. You know what I mean? That might have been, yeah. Yeah, it knows. a more difficult one. Yeah, maybe. That book was fucking... That book took me hard that long. Hard. That was a very difficult book to read. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Uh, you can go listen to the episode, but that might have been harder to read than this one. That's close. But the, Yeah, the and for the re- listeners, I did read this book today. The, basically the whole thing. So <laughs> it does influence which, which, my... Which, though, I think arguably is... I was listening to another podcast about Thomas Bernhardt today, an interview with someone... And the guy said, "It it is best like the it was it was an author I forget his his name off the top of my head, um, but uh, he's a big Bernhard guy apparently, and he said it's best to read all of his texts in one sitting if possible because I do think they invite that sort of reading. There's no there's not a lot of like easy places to stop. We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, Paul." Like yeah. there, there are sentences and there are periods and stuff like that, but they're kind of few and far between and it just keeps going. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, I, my, my opinion is, is weirdly similar to Erev Bears, where I'm like, yo, fuck this, fuck this way of writing. Like, fuck this. Fu-. Like, what do you think you're doing? You just keep saying the same shit, you idiot. And then, but then I'm also like, uh, I'm just enough like you said, kind of uh, caught up in it and the flow of it and and the, you know, the downbeats of, like, the repeated phrasing that I, I got to say, like, I, I found it uh, pleasant for some, you know, like, uh, despite my, um, despite my negative initial reactions, I, I guess. Like, I, I feel like I was so close to disliking it, but I wasn't, and I enjoyed that experience. Yeah. Personally. I, I, I definitely... It rides that line, you know, it really does because it's, 
I think that, like, if you just read, like, a couple, like, I think this, this is, I guess, one of the weird things about reading this book for me is, like, if I, if I was just going to sit down and read, like, and I, I read this book very differently than Paul. You know, I read probably, like, 80 pages in one go, took a couple days off, and then found some time the next couple days and read 10 pages, 20 pages, 30 pages, and then I read the last, you know, whatever, the last 80 all at once or whatever. And so I had these chunks and those smaller chunks, I thought, like, this is just great. Like, this is, it, 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 there is pleasure to this. But when you read those bigger chunks all at once, and Paul, you sounds like you basically read, like, 250 pages of it in a day. Um, yeah, I got up at 7 o'clock this morning. <laughs> first, first of all, <laughs> let's just take a moment to fucking shout out Paul for the dedication to yeah, crushing I I read them all. shit. I know, I dude. I read them all. <laughs> uh, just fucking making it happen. So shout True out. That. Shout out. Shout out. Um, but I would say reading those longer chunks. And, and again, the book never invites you to stop. Except at one time. Um, and reading those longer chunks, I would say the, the feeling that characterized my experience of those longer reading sessions was, was exhaustion more than more than anything else like i could find that rhythm and i could find that enjoyment but it is it's a fucking grind like it just is yeah can, can i read this uh this uh goodreads review like it just it's a snippet yeah, of one by yeah shout outs to philip lane because this was hilarious in his real <laughs> he wrote uh, he wrote a lot before this, but he just wrote in the in the middle of it. The whole book is made up of solid text split only by the odd full stop and break of, for part two. Why make fiction so difficult to access? Why don't we publish handwritten manuscripts, which would be even more difficult to interpret? Why translate even from the German? Why bother writing in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> oh, which I don't but totally he, agree with, but I thought that was... And he gave it three out of five stars. He didn't hate it, but I just thought it was like a... I think an extreme he is, point. He is also somewhat echoing the sim, uh, the sentiments, right, of uh, of the book a little bit, though, too. Yeah. Like, why why write? Why publish? The other thing that I think is looming over this that requires more expertise than I have is the fact that uh, Baron Hart was obsessed with Ludwig Wittgenstein, yep. and uh, that uh, Roy Thomer is loosely uh, supposed to be. Uh, akin to Wittgenstein. I mean, I mean, I think that's all. That's all. The, the, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I mean, uh, Bernhard wrote a book. You know, Wittgenstein's Austrian, right? And uh, uh, there's also a book that he wrote just called Wittgenstein's Nephew. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, Bernhard was a little bit obsessed with Wittgenstein, and you can see that here. Which is why, because I mean, and you. You elucidated basically everything about, like, in terms of expertise that you need to know about Wittgenstein. He was Austrian. He also studied in Cambridge, uh, like Roy Thomer. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, and he, and Wittgenstein sort of, uh, he didn't kill himself. I don't think. Did Wittgenstein kill himself? No. No, he he just, di- But he also died very young. <clears throat> yeah. Um, if I'm remembering correctly. And, but, but Wittgenstein sort of was very interested particularly in his early philosophical work the tractatus in sort of crafting some sort of ideal uh uh, product right he thought at the end of the tractatus which i think he wrote in prison 
if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, that he that he had solved philosophy, that philosophy was over. I I've I've solved all of the problems and anything that is not like explicitly solved here. Um, okay, he didn't write it in prison. He wrote it, it while he was on military leave from World War One. Um, okay. But he sort of thought that this was the end of philosophy. Similarly to the way that Reuthammer, and, and Wittgenstein was not a trained philosopher at the time. He was sort of like a, a, a savant, as it were. Um, yeah. He, you know... Uh, I mean, I guess maybe he was a trained philosopher. I forget. I don't remember. I don't know enough about... That was a mathematician. Yeah, it might have been right. Um, but... I should know more because I studied philosophy. I'm clearly not a Wittgenstein scholar, but um, wow, <laughs> I know. But he sort of, you know, thought everyone else has everything wrong. I don't need to talk to anybody else about this. I I've got this right, and that's yeah. sort of Reuthammer's attitude as well, right? Like he he talks and writes a lot about how. Oh, all of the architects, all of the builders, all of the like geographers are telling me this cone cannot be built, but I'm going to fucking do it anyway. And they're stupid and they don't know what the fuck they're talking he about. Hates, he hates every credentialed and professional person. Yes. Basically. Right. Like they're exactly. like disgusting. And he just loves like the people that he hires to work and manual laborers and stuff. But like, yeah, uh, uh, an expert is anathema to Roy Tummer. Exactly. Um... And, and so I think that it's, it's a pretty, uh, you know, it's not quite one-to-one, but it's pretty, in terms of Wittgenstein and Reuthammer, it's, it's pretty obvious that they're supposed to be analogs. Um, I th- the only thing I know is very specifically the last phrase of the Tractatus, right? Seems yeah. to be basically the like theme of the book to me. Right, whereof one cannot speak, thereof one must remain silent. Right. He takes it to a like an extreme degree of like ideas equal death in the face of practical reality or, or something, but uh but basically like the whole sequence about him editing his uh his shit down until he just ends up like wanting to burn the manuscript because he just like got it all wrong. Uh that seems you know, to be just sort of a, a, a nihilistic view of that final summary of the Tractatus specifically. Yep. But I also know that Wittgenstein like disowned his Tractatus as juvenilia that he was trying to disprove later on. So, and I don't know if Bernhardt was like um, privy to that or or it, what what the publishing shit was with Wittgenstein himself in that time period. Well, well, let I me mean, read this. Uh, this is this goes along with what you're just what you're just talking about, Matt. Yeah, do it up. I'm on the Kindle, so I don't know what page this is, but it's later in the book. He says we're constantly correcting and correcting ourselves more rigorously because we recognize at every moment that we did it all wrong, wrote it, thought it, made it all wrong, acted all wrong, how we acted all wrong. That everything to to this point in time is a falsification. So we correct the fa- falsification. And then we again correct the correction of this falsification, and we correct the resolve, <laughs> the correction of the correction, and the, so forth. So Rothheimer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He. Mm. So 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 I mean Wittgenstein, the Tractatus was the only book he ever actually published. What we have now 
as what's what's commonly called and published as philosophical investigations, is like Roy Palmer's papers, Wittgenstein's uncollected, unpublished notes on the Tractatus and related issues, which you're right, Matt, sort of largely reject or contradict or correct what he originally correct correction already published in the Tractatus, but the Tractatus was his one book that was published under his name in his lifetime. And everything else we have now is his unpublished kind of papers and collections of thoughts, which is exactly what the narrator of this book is doing with respect to Roy Thomer. So would you say that Bernhardt probably, uh, were the investigations available in Bernhardt's time and do you think he read them? Uh, that's a great fucking question. Probably. I mean, the, 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 the I think the first, like, Wittgenstein died in, like, like pretty early on, like, in the 40s or something, or maybe the 50s. Let me look. 51. He died in 51. So, and then the first edition of Philosophical Investigations, which is the, the sort of post posthumous correction to the Tractatus was published in 53. So almost so he's, Bernhard almost certainly read it. Yeah. He most, he must've. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, um, you know, cause like Roy Tomer is also, again, this feels like uh, very critical of, uh, Wittgenstein and the implications of, of his thought a bit, you know, because like there's, there's some anecdote about Wittgenstein, uh, not even wanting to say uh, see you tomorrow to his friends because he couldn't prove that he would be able to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that level of like obnoxious purity to uh, some concept, like some concept of purity, not allowing him to just be a normal person and be like, yo, I'll philosopher. Essentially. Yes. Yeah. He's like, yo, I'll fucking see you tomorrow. He's like, well, I can't say that because technically I can't prove it. You know, it's like... Oh, uh, do you have to do it in the Ben Shapiro voice? <laughs> I wasn't doing Ben Shapiro. I swear to God. I was trying to do Love on the Spectrum. <laughs> He's Australian. Uh, but that's, you know, by the second half of the book, that's what I basically concluded was the characterization of Reutemer, like his internal life was so was so that that like um, I ended up questioning his... Uh, criticisms of his family mm -hmm. who he fucking despised yes. include specifically his mom he's so rough on his mom uh and i'm like you know i'm willing to believe that the family life stuff was uh shitty but i'm like is this dude also just so incapable of seeing uh gestures of uh, kindness or an attempt to connect uh period because of because of his dedication to quote unquote ideas in their like platonic you know untouchable forms. Yeah, I I, I think that's that's right, and I definitely had that same um, experience about uh, uh, the, his sort of views on his family. I mean, I guess the in terms of like are these. Like, specifically the veracity of them, right? Like, was his yeah. mom really this bad? Were his brothers really that stupid? Was his dad really that much of a kind of, like, distant, you know, because psychopath, Paul, basically? As, as Paul read at the end, right, he, he, he disowns those writings and notions entirely, also. Right? You know? Right. 
So yeah. But but I guess the one the the reason and this gets back to your point earlier, Matt. One of the reasons is that uh, that I'm sort of skeptical of viewing the second half of the book as like a purely sort of satirical take on the like you know aloof academic sort of character that Roy Dummer is is that I know for a fact that Bernhard loved Wittgenstein and like greatly admired him and considered him to be like the best like most important Austrian figure like ever like huh. um and and I I so I sort of wonder I, I think it's an interesting question like how much of this sort of mix at the end of the book or in the second half is Bernhard's actual views versus trying to, you know, poke at that, that figure. I, I just Including don't Including all the, the misogynistic views as well. Would that be included? Cause I mean, that's a huge criticism by a lot of people that reviewed this book. Yeah. Especially on good, good reads, which I skimmed through. What's up? Good. But, reads? I mean, it, it's yeah. uh, very Come on prominent, the, the level of women hating and women are beneath right at the end. beneath me and beneath men. It's disgusting, gross. It, and, yeah, that they can't, they, they have no capacity or interest in intellectual pursuits. Uh, but he, he, he contradicts but he himself. His he contradicts himself because, and this is where I think at least there's some kind of attempt to, you know, Maybe he's he's trying to cheekily get in uh, a sort of uh, gender criti- criticism that Bernhard secretly believes, but also like he's like my sister's the only one who I can talk to about intellectual pursuits. She's the w- one of the few people that like meets me where I'm at, and like I-, I love her, and she's like my better half, and we're we vibrate as one soul. Blah blah blah. And then he fucking wants to, he hates his mom. And she's like a dumb bitch, slob, poor, from a poor family. Uh, Who basically women, like swindled his dad into into marrying her. Yeah, just because of her breeding capacity. And like she's, uh, you know, she's ever... Bernhard's words. Yes, yeah. Uh, dumb bitch, slob, poor. <laughs> yes, basically. DBSP. But, <laughs> but then his sister is is this angelic figure with from whom he's like... Uh, deriving all of this uh, motivation to do this this thing and he kills her because of it and it's like I don't know there's enough there to make me think that it's not as, as straightforward but I do kind of have uh, suspicions you know I also like, think with the sister it's it, and this is not this isn't necessarily to disagree with anything that you said Matt but you know, there was a part of me, and I maybe have some stuff highlighted if I can find it, but um, where it came off that part of the reason uh, Roy Thomer started like doting on his sister and sort of, you know, like, you know, talking to his sister and trying to like take his sister under his wing or whatever was because his mother also hated his sister. And it was a sort of proxy way of just saying fuck you to his mother again by embracing his sister that much more fully. And I wonder how much of his love for his sister is not genuine love, 
but is like driven and, and sort of fueled by his hatred for his mother and the fact that he knows that his mother also hated his sister. Yeah, like the, the family stuff is so important to me because like uh, it is ultimately like very petty and uh, we were talking about succession off mic, but I was just thinking about it too a little bit. Just like th- these people are, are fucking themselves over from ever being happy ever again because of like perceived slights and it's just like it has nothing to do with this uh, rarefied, beautiful world of concepts and ideas and intellectual purity. It's like he got pissed off and thinks one thing and someone else thinks another and they're just fighting each other now forever. Yeah, I mean, it felt like kind of like a juvenile projection on his part. Like, I think like what you were saying, like maybe there was some family drama, but it, it the way he wrote about the hatred was just like, I, I don't buy it. So I think I do agree with you there. It's just like his own intellectual qualms and the way he thinks about the world just caught him up in his personal life as well and the way he thought about his family. Yeah, like I I don't really believe... um, I believe that like his parents were ill-suited and it was like a weird situation at home and all this and maybe like his, his parents and shit fought. But like... You hear that, for instance, you hear that his brothers are, like, pieces of shit, and they're always out to get him. But you never once, they never even appear, like, his mom at least, like, appears in the book at some point and is, like, a character for a little bit. But the brothers you never even see once. You're just supposed to believe that they're, like, malicious vindictive people that are part of uh, his mom's side of the war in the family and that's it and it's like i don't know if i trust that analysis and and there's also just not enough information like for a book that is so freaking long and wordy and (laughs) (laughs) like we're talking about scenes that are so few and far between and they're so you know like underwritten like what actually takes place and that's something that bothered me too. It's like the, we don't have enough information to really gather a conclusive argument either way. And like, what's the point of that? Well, I think, I think the, <laughs> the point is like a bit like Reutemer's not, uh, he's certainly not a, um, reliable narrator, right? Like he, he, he kind of latches on to a conception of things and then he just never lets go. And it seems like there's not much anyone else can do. And like in his mind, he's like, this is what it means to be, uh, my own person and like pure of thought, right? Like, uh, no one can convince me otherwise now about the state of affairs. Uh, I'm not going to try and empathize anymore. I'm not going to try and, uh, meet anyone halfway like in the later half there's a scene where he is um coming back from cambridge to alton's Tom, and uh, he notices that the barn is painted green uh and this is what kind of flipped me my interpretation of that event was that his mother was trying to take an active interest in some aspect of the forestry and the like lands and stuff uh and was trying to make an aesthetic decision etc if you if you just 
cut away all the bullshit of his description of the event. What he did was he rode in so he could take he could relax at Altensam after his hard time in Cambridge. And uh, the second he enters the door, he goes, "Why is the barn green? It looks like shit." To his mom, and uh, my interpretation was that his mom was like literally was trying to do just something. Uh, and then was also they, like, you know what? You fought fuck immediately. You. Yeah, and she was like, "Fuck you! What the fuck do you mean? I'm trying to actually like just." It, and then he's like, "My mom would try and like say that she was reading a book I was reading, but I knew it was lies, and I knew she was a bitch actually." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Dude, I think you're just autistically not interpreting this as uh, uh, the genuine gesture that it might be, despite the." Uh, you know, the, the element of artificiality in it, you know, the, the attempt by one person to do what you're incapable of doing. That's a good point. I, I think that that's, I mean, I, w- I would say the only, and I don't know if you guys talked about this while I was taking a pee-pee just now, but I would say no, that... I'm going to um, pee right now. Something that militates against that a little bit, Matt, is... No, let me hang out for a second. Hold on. Is the fact that he was, like, legitimately abused as a child and they locked him in a tower with, like... No food or water for days on end, and true. I don't deny that the household was uh, hellish, a dark and that, place. that their uh, his parents did not like each other. It was more just like um, he is a person who like makes the finality of his decisions to see things a certain way are what he prides himself in, but it, it right. you know. It's part of this overall concept I perceived where it's like notions and ideas are overtly equated with death in the book. And I I just feel like that's part of it. You know, it's not uh, just like beauty and and principle. It's like it can be very bad and uh, inhuman. Yeah. Basically. All right. I'm going to pee now. All right. Bye. Pee pee. Paul, did you? What did you think about Roy Tummer? Did you like him? No. Did you think he was the worst? I thought he was the worst. Yeah. I thought I thought he was just like an overbearing, psychopath, intellectual narcissist. I felt very s- unlikable person. Yeah. You felt sorry for him? No, I felt sorry for his sister. Is what I was gonna say. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. She's probably the only character in the whole book that I. I mean, she's barely written in there at all. You barely get any information. But well, you don't. You really don't get anything. Like even when uh, that's one of the things that I found interesting about the book is that it like there's no dialogue basically. Uh, yeah. It's Roy Thomer's descriptions of things and the narrator's descriptions of things. Like even when the narrator is sitting around talking with Holer, you don't hear anything that Holer says. And obviously Holer's wife and daughters are completely written out and they don't say, they just sit around the dinner table silently, which is probably part of where women the, don't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is one of the things that I think is like kind of leads me to believe that this was maybe Bernhard's own view because well, it's in the structure like, of the book. It's not just in Reutemer's writing or his attitudes, it's also in the, the way the book itself is written. Yeah, I agree. I think that Matt is maybe banking or hoping that it, it's more of a satire and a joke, but yeah, I, I, I didn't really find it to be. I feel like it, it tends to be more of 
Bernhardt's like real points of view. We were specifically talking, Matt, about the fact that um, that there's no dialogue in the book, really. It's Roy Thomas' view and the narrator's view. And specifically right. the scene we were talking about was when the, the narrator is sitting around the dinner table with Holer and his family. And uh, you don't get any dialogue from any of those other characters, including Holer, really. But specifically, like, the wife and the Holer's daughters don't speak at all and are, are, you know, completely silent the whole time, which makes me wonder if that, that sort of view, the, the sort of misogynistic view that Roy Thomer is expecting in his papers isn't baked into the structure of the book as well, which makes me think it might be Bernhard's also. And you can argue that that was like the culture of the time, like women were meant to be seen and not heard and blah, 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 blah. And that's all probably true. But, I mean, this was almost 1980, right? Yeah, like, it was almost yeah. 1980. Well, what's your question to me, that he, he, he believed in this? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Or, like, you know, yeah. Or is, is, it, is, it, is that separation as easy as it, we might want it to be? No, I, I mean, my hunch... It's complicated, but my, my hunch is that, uh, at the very least, like, these are not... Um, what's up, Paul? <laughs> I accidentally hit record, but I didn't mean to. <laughs> You're going to have your own podcast released earlier. <laughs> Is Paul trying to leave the spine crakers? Spine crakers. <laughs> spine crakers. <laughs> uh, Drama. It just feels more related to me. Like, with uh, if he is a champion and super fan of Wittgenstein, then perhaps. But it seems more to be about. Um, verbalization and expression, and uh, the idea—the idea that when you verbalize your ideas, they're immediately ruined, uh, as as like the difference between ideal and why we're enmeshed in horrific, you know, interpersonal relationships or whatever. Like you know, like so like. The, the silent, you know, children are to be seen, not heard, and the silent, stoic wife who makes dinner and then goes and knits, uh, while also being, like, the old school, right? Like, m- shitty, conservative, and misogynist sort of view of, like, the family structure also dovetails in a little bit with the just sort of, like, the, the sort of, what, philosophically sound idea of silence being the best move, Based on human cognition or something, I, you know what I mean. Like, I, I, so I'm not sure where he stands personally. So, I mean, so I, okay, yeah, go ahead, Paul. I was just gonna say, like, when Matt went away, you asked me what I thought of Reutemer, and you you mentioned that he felt bad for his sister, and I do too because I I was imagining you have to imagine <laughs> most of the relationship, obviously, but I was picturing his sister as kind of just like this docile but agreeable person that maybe just like nodded her head and agreed with a lot of the bullshit he was spewing at her (laughs) and he projected himself into this one woman in his life that was like oh she gets me she doesn't like give me bullshit i I love my sister i'm building her fucking cone (laughs) and 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 my fucking mom doesn't like her my mom hates her. It makes me love her even more. I'm going to make a cone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coning. 
I'm coning right now, dude. <laughs> I mean, uh, one thing I I want to say moving forward, like I I like the whole story structure of everything that happened. It was just the writing style that threw me off, but everything that's going on in the book, I found really intriguing. And the cone building in particular was hilarious and weird, mm-hmm. and kind of reminded me of. Uh, Kind of like the early century, like Halloweeny books we were reading, like Great God Pan. Um, mm. Kind of, it, it kind of, this book kind of fell in, fell into that realm of what was it? Strange fiction? What is that? Weird, weird, fiction. weird fiction. Weird. Yellow King, which I bought and haven't read yet. Put it on the but, list, baby. Yeah. Maybe I will. True Detective. Um, <laughs> True Detective. Carcosa. Scars. Carcosa. Carconza. Yeah. Jesus. Yep. I know. I don't look, I don't have a lot to offer. Um, uh, okay. So not, not to be that guy. Uh, and we should probably read some passages from the book because I have a few that I really do want to read, but just on this question of, 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 oh yeah, you read a couple, but just on this question of, uh, Bernard's views of Wittgenstein, I found a letter that he wrote to a doctor about Wittgenstein and to a doctor? Uh, yeah, just like a guy he was talking to. You know what I mean? Okay. okay. Uh, it, I have a rash, and also, what do you think about Wittgenstein? Doctor yeah. Spiel. I don't know who it is, um, but he, it's about Wittgenstein. And I, I'm, I'm just going to read the, the last paragraph. Uh, As for Wittgenstein, he combines the purity of Stifter, who I don't know. I think some Austrian, some famous Austrian with the clarity of Kant, and is the greatest Austrian since and along with Stifter. Wittgenstein is now for us what we have not gotten from Novalis, the German. And one further sentence, W, Wittgenstein, is a question that cannot be answered. For this reason, he is at one with that level of merit that precludes answers and an answer. Our present-day culture is, in all its unbearable manifestations, a culture whose answer anybody thought it worth doing could easily figure out. Only in the case of Wittgenstein is it different. And the world is always the same excessively moronic, unconceiving world, which is why it is always without concepts. The concepts stand for themselves as concepts. This is lethal to the masses of heads, but no consideration should be shown to the masses of heads. So I'm not going to write about Wittgenstein because I cannot, or rather because I cannot answer him. All the implications of this are completely self-explanatory. Best regards and wishes, Thomas Bernhard. And my worry about that is that sounds like it is taken exactly straight from the second half of this book. Yeah. I'm a little dense. Like, uh, I'll drop the link in the chat if you want to peruse. We should just put it at one. You put it on YouTube. Drop the link, too. Uh, yeah, oh, I will. Because Novalis is, is, uh, is mentioned mm-hmm. uh, in the book. I don't know who that is. Uh, but are you are you saying like like um, because because Bernhard in that letter is like yeah because he's I'm assuming he's talking to a doctor because he's dying while he writes all these books like he's sick. Uh, I don't like, know if it's to a doc like it could be a PhD like I have no idea it's just oh sure yeah, yeah. doc yeah, yeah. Um, where he's like you know everyone's stupid and I also don't know how to uh, further the thoughts uh, that Wittgenstein put forward is that basically what you're saying well and just the general attitude towards like everyone's an idiot this the, all these people suck like right. every, you know and and sort of again idolizing 
in sort of an analogous way to the way the narrative of this book idolizes Reuthammer, Wittgenstein, again, it's one paragraph, you know, but, but it, I don't know. I, I think it's the, the distance may be uncomfortably close for me. I think, yeah, Bernhard definitely is a, uh, an elitist and uh, someone who probably feels himself like above where he's at. Like, I, I, th- I have a little thing here. This is uh, some anti-Austrian stuff. Uh, this country, once the very center of Europe, was, according to Roy Tomer, no longer anything more than a rummage sale of intellectual and cultural history, an unsold remainder of government merchandise on which the citizen is granted only a second or a third or a fourth, but in any case, only the last bid, only the leftovers. So, you know, just like that, like, basically thought is done in Austria. Like, no and, and, you know, look, I'm, I'm all for critiquing, like, formerly Nazi, like, German-supporting countries yeah. for, like, their culture and whatever brought them to that point. But he takes it in a weird way. Like, he takes it in, a, in, in kind of a weird direction. Uh, and he puts the emphasis on, like, everyone's dumb. <laughs> Not everyone's... They would support the Nazis or whatever. You know what I mean? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like it's... It, 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 if you had to ask me, like, okay, critique Austria. I don't know shit about Austria. But I ha- know they supported Germany and the Nazis and all that stuff. That, that's where I would go. And, you know, I think, I, from what I understand, he does that in other books and whatever. But he, he, he focuses on this kind of weird cultural critique stuff, which I don't really know what to make of. Frankly. I don't totally get it either because I mean, he he lists a lot of uh, composers and the, Austria has a, a just like a long history of intellectuals and composers. Like Mozart's Aust- Austrian, right? He was. Am I, I, am I off base? With that? Sounds, I don't know. That sounds right to me, but I'm not actually sure. We should look it up. But isn't it's that just the point, odd Paul? to me? To, what? Like that? It's fallen off. Like it used to be, and now it's not. You think you think that's his point? Like that there were like geniuses coming out of this place and now because it's like hostile to it, it's detestable and we are gonna look at all these people that managed to get out even though like the country is hostile to them even existing at this point. Even even like regardless of the Nazi thing, like why is he not just saying how our my country sucks because we love the Nazis, which is a big issue. It's still just like it's an odd kind of like teenage hatred towards a I country. Think Mozart was born was born in what would be present day Austria. Yes. Okay. Sol- it's just like Salzburg. Where you, yeah. You have like where he a, died, uh, where Bernhard died. Yes. You have like a long history of historical figures in your country, and you suddenly start denouncing your whole country. Without saying that we're bad because we like the Nazis, and it, you're, I, yeah, you're right, Gabe. I can't put my finger exactly why it's just like worded weirdly, but his distaste for his his own country is strange to me. I see it in people who are like um, return to tradition. Not even return to tradition, but just sort of like uh, I don't know. You you can see it in criticisms of the U.S. and America as anti-intellectual. I've heard that term by people from every political quadrant, you know yes, what I mean? Like absolutely. that like So I, I don't really know what to make of that, but yeah, that like uh critical thought is uh 
is smacked back down to earth every time you try and exercise it, all this kind of stuff. Small correction, Matt, not to be a dick, hmm. but, but Bernhard died in a town called Gmunden. No, that's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, we need to know. And the reason that he died there, it's actually relevant, is because it's like a well. It's almost like okay, never mind. I don't. I don't want to say too much, but you guys will get what I was about to say. It's it's like a summer resort with like different types of herbal baths and like healing like springs and stuff for people Ooh. with like lung problems. And it's sort of like a a, a resort slash ancient kind of healing town with special waters and stuff. And of course, Bernhard had lung problems and, and that's kind of what he ultimately died from. So he was, I assume they're trying to get better. I also have a, uh, should have built himself of... a cone. Yeah, please. <laughs> should have went to the top of the cone to the meditation section. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know, those, uh, midsummer. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> midsummer colon cone. Colon cone. <laughs> Those uh, what what are they called? Humidifiers. They're all often shaped like cones, and he probably could use one of those too. Yeah, that's true. Mm. You know what I mean? Shoot a little mist at the top of the the cone. Uh, <laughs> I could just imagine Thomas Bernhard like driving down the road when there's construction and there's like a thousand cones, and he's just like, cone, cone, <laughs> cone. <laughs> there they are. He's coning. Hey, I'm he's coning. coning right now. Here's a list of just random, uh, like, other intellectuals and artists that I just, you know, maybe someone who's listening can do something with this in terms of uh, making connections better than I could. Uh, but I just underlined these. These are from, this is on page 45 of my, uh, you know, vintage classics, whatever, pr uh, public Ooh. publication. But um, so for, for, yeah, that's right. I got the same thing. Do you got, what do you have, Paul? Oh, yeah, I got the Kindle. Ooh. Jeffrey yeah. Boozos. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I bought my physical copy from Amazon anyway. <laughs> I buy almost all my books from Amazon now. Fuck. <laughs> so much easier. They come so quick. They're, yeah, they're there. Just like uh, me. <laughs> Shout outs to Amazon. We're sponsored by them, so. Yeah. Would that uh, be good or bad? Who the fuck knows? Listen, I just let me just rattle off these people. Okay. So, and these are all in relation to Roy Tomer and his thought, uh, but this is on page 45 of the vintage. Uh, so we've got, Pers for composers, we have Purcell, Handel, Hauer, Webern, and Schoenberg. Uh, so, you know, go and explore that. And then, uh, then the, uh, he's describing basically like uh, Roy Tomer's... Um, you know, intellectual obsessions or the writers he was he was into uh, that he constantly referenced: Montaigne, Novalis, Hegel, Schopenhauer, Ernst Bloch, and because he thought that he recognized himself in them, the writings of Wittgenstein. So, just thought I'd get that out there, just so if anyone uh, more well-read than me wants to try and make those. Uh, those links they can austrian podcasts hit us up <laughs> yeah yeah they're probably all about arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> <laughs> holy shit <laughs> uh, 
So any any Schwarzenegger podcast out there, hit us up. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, any podcasts out there? Really? Any podcast. Just hit us up. <laughs> hit us up, bro. <laughs> um, I do. Okay, so okay, I feel like we've done potentially enough litigating of Bernhard's personality and his own individual legacy. Although, of course, it's inseparable from the book, arguably. I kind of want to just read some a passage that I found because I think when we're talking about the writing, it's easy to think that it all is repetitive and, and crap and, and whatever. But I thought there were a number of passages that were like, just like hit me that were just like, I thought were beautiful and, and emotional and, and well done. And I kind of just want to get a little bit more, frankly, just want to read some more of the actual text. Um, so do it. I'm going to do that now. Okay, okay. Go. So Matt, this is on a uh, hundred to 101 in our okay. edition. Um, and this is where the narrator is talking to Holler, trying to sort of like engage with him about memories that they had for, as, as children with Reuthammer. Um, and you know, like just, 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 just sort of trying to breach the topic of Reuthammer's suicide when they were first sitting down to dinner and talking. I said, did he, Holer, also remember our way to school so well? Did he remember many thousands and hundreds of thousands of details, sensations, perceptions, feelings, intimations of feelings, those earliest important beginnings of thought of our, on our way to school? For it was then that we began to think as we still think today, the kind of precise thinking which has since then become the mechanism of our adult intelligence. I could remember those thousands, hundreds of thousands of weather conditions on our walk to school, abrupt shifts in the weather. I felt them suddenly take place, transforming our way to school from one minute to the next and thereby transforming us inside from one minute to the next. And the incessant changing of colors in the woods and in the auroch as it tumbled headlong from the woods down to the plain. Everything on our way to school had always been changes of color and of temperatures and of our moods. That muggy atmosphere in the summertime that sickened us on our way to school so that when we came, so that we came to be horribly sick later in school. Or the cold in winter that we could cope with only by attacking it all along the way to school. We had to counterattack the cold, stomping, all bundled up and scared through the deep, the deepest snow, running through the Oroch Gorge where the snow was not quite so high. From one clump of ice to the next and in school, we felt as though we had lost our minds through the effort of making our way to the school so that we no longer had the strength to keep up with the lessons. Did he, Holer, remember the young teacher who always appeared in a black dress, buttoned high to the neck, whom we liked to listen to and whom we loved because she behaved considerately towards us? She was always considerate uh, of us and therefore of our conditions and circumstances. When, as a rule, people and especially teachers are never considerate. I never again had a teacher who was in the least considerate of me, I said, but this teacher was considerate in every way, took everything about us into consideration. All my life long, I never forgot this considerateness in the midst of so much ruthlessness at the mercy of which life or any way existence, all human existence, finds itself. Our way to school took its course just as our subsequent life did, I said, with all its passages through darkness back to light, with all its habits and unexpected coincidences, 
Our way through life, like our way to school, kept being subjected to abrupt changes of weather, kept following the course of a torrential river always to be feared. For as we always lived in fear on our way to school, fear of falling into the raging Orach among others, so on our way through life, we always lived in extreme fear of falling into this river where we lived, always terrified of this river which is invisible, but always torrential and always deadly. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I felt like that is both representative of the writing style with all the like repetition and the sort of same thematic kind of churn, but also just like beautiful. A guy talking to his friend about these memories that they have of their walks to school. Like it felt very human to me, which is not something that I think is, you know, apparent in some of the rest of the book, right? Where... It's, it's this very kind of detached, intellectual, kind of repetitive, almost chanting writing. Well, that's why I think that the like narrator himself is, an, is the key mm. a bit, because I don't think Reutemer is supposed to be, you know, um, the apotheosis of anything. He is, he is intellect, he is cogitation purely, and, and the pitfalls of that as well. Um. And I feel like the narrator is the person who's, who is genuinely trying to, to bridge these worlds, you know, the dead, the person who can no longer speak about his experience and like the questions of whether or not to even try to, uh, you know, he, like he says, he's not going to edit anything because that editing is actually a, a crime. Yeah. Basically but the like, narrator also is, he succumbs to the pitfall of the way uh, Rayhammer speaks and conducts his manuscripts too. Like, um, I underlined something that basically stated it was in the first half of the book that uh, let me try to find it, but it basically states like he he can't help but succumb to. Uh, oh, here it is. Okay, I don't know what page it's on. I'm sorry, I have a Kindle. Um, because a man who no longer thinks his own thoughts, but instead finds himself dominated by thoughts of another man whom he mm. admires, or even if he doesn't admire him, but is only dominated by his thoughts compulsively, such a man is in constant danger of doing himself in by his continual thinking of another man's thoughts, in danger of deadening himself out of existence. My mic just fell off my table. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. That feels in the spirit of what you were reading. But yeah, that's, um, that's, that's like the narrator but, not wanting to do that disservice while fearing that he will. It just shows his his huffle puffy in nature. No spoilers. Whoa, yo, Whoa you dude, chill, huge dude. spoilers. <laughs> people people wait hours for this. I'm podcast. sorry, my Legit. mic fell off. I'm off. I'm off the rails. My mic's off. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, but, yeah. Um, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. No, no, you go, you finish up. I was going to say, in terms of Gabe's passage, like I read this book today, and I don't even remember that. <laughs> and I yeah. think it's because, like, I was so, I was succumbed by the relentlessness of the, of the writing that I, you know, I read the whole book today, but I, I was like, it lulls you to agony. This book, mm. and I like I, that I way of putting let, it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I couldn't let go of how I felt reading it and just like any, anything that came out of it that was good writing and end up being beautiful. It, it tend, it, it just like 
washed by me. But I, I do I do wonder if Guber, you know, read a passage like that from Bernard Bernhardt, and that's what brought him back. Is like, oh, this writer who's just like rambling on and on actually has this this beautiful prose writing within his text so it's I'm it's it's addic- it's like addictive in a weird way to me the writing like it's it's uh, you know i get what you're saying paul in the sense that like there's it's easy to miss those moments of beauty but like to me when they show up it's like so impactful and forceful and it just hits that rhythm like so perfectly um so I don't know. Yeah, I, I definitely get what you're saying. My 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 question is is like my again my limited knowledge of Wittgenstein, but like uh, wasn't one of the other things this notion that um, that a private language is nonsensical and cannot be yes. achieved. Yep. And I, I I feel like that's like another one of those those ideas that is trying to be communicated where the narrator represents the solution to the private language that essentially Reutemer was was having and, and, and creating within himself that was making him toxify <laughs> and uh, essentially kill his sister. He kills himself. You know, it's like... Uh, I, I just feel like that's the important part of that equation is the very... Uh, what What's the fucking... Um, hold on, let me read the... The uh, shit, what's it called? Isn't there? Oh yeah, here it is. Uh, what's it called? The the thing at the beginning, like the quote. Forward. Oh, uh, uh, epigram, epigram, epigraph. Epigraph. I, it's epigraph. epigraph or epigram. I always forget the difference between the two. There is one. Yes. So you know, I mean, this is right. This is before even anything kicks off. It goes. A body needs at least three points of support, not in a straight line, to fix its position. So Roy Temer had written. And, you know, so I think, like... It's epigraph. Epigraph. So I think Huller, Roy Temer, and then the unnamed narrator constitute the totality of a genuine meaning as opposed to anything, anyone individually. They're the three uh, legs upon which the meaning of the book stand. Yes, in which you can triangulate a kind of meaning that might be useful as opposed to the completely solid, subjective, and, like, uh, you know, therefore somewhat useless uh, accounts of, of everyone else. Yeah. You could also tri- that's, triangulate that's a that into a, coin, into a cone. Well, that's the point. Cause right. like, uh, no, that's, I think that's <laughs> literally the point, though, Paul, is, like... The point. Uh, Cones have points also. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Is like this triangulation of of the truth, you know, through the minimum of at least three perspectives to create balance. I mean, the, the, he's talking about like engineering, right? Like he's obsessed with uh, statics and equilibrium uh, to literally build a cone that will be like something that can won't fall apart, right? Or, or like will stand together. It's almost like he was trying to build, like the cone is kind of like a tower of Babel, right? little bit yeah like this perfect this perfect thing reaching not necessarily reaching to god but like reaching to scientific purity 
Were cones stupid to make? And, 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 and his sister's happiness, right? <laughs> like, if, like his sister's happiness is also for him, like the the sort of ultimate goal for for some reason, which we, you know. But Roitmer's wrong about it. Right. He's he's fucked up about he's it. He's super fucked up to, about he it. He doesn't know how to achieve that. Right. Well, he has this, like you said earlier, Matt. He has this paternalistic view of like I know what's best for her, even though she's never. She's never consulted about it. She's never like right, asked, right. "Hey, do you want to live in a fucking cone in the yeah, middle of the woods with with like, with, with like no kitchen and just random ass rooms that are for nothing?" Um, and she gets there and dies because it sucks. And then you know, so yeah. But but again, he he takes it to the sort of like. Um, apotheosis of scientific like presumption where it's like I've studied her for years I know what she likes I know what type of person she is and I know what's going to make her happy and it's this fucking cone and of course you know I think this was smart on Bernhard's part we don't see any of that reasoning we don't see any of that explanation of why he thinks the cone will make her happy because of course it's absurd and it's nonsensical um, but he's he's already. He's but he feels so confident sworn. in it that it's a mathematical proof that he's, you know. He, he's 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 inexplicably forsworn the uh, outside perspective by already preemptively hating experts, or just you know, which is a convenient description of people who might say, right, like this doesn't make any sense. And while there's something to be taken away from it, like on one side of like. Yeah, a lot of people are naysayers and uh, ha- lack the imagination to do something interesting and new. There's a lot of people who know what the fuck they're saying, and like it's your part of your intelligent ability to uh, differentiate between the two, and, and to uh, listen to the ones who do know what they're talking about. Right, and to not you know have this m- megalomaniacal presumption that you um 100% grok the entirety of for instance, another individual like your sister but it, and it, know how to build the perfect hab- habitat for her. It's like interesting. It's habitat. interesting, though. Yeah. I also think that there's some commentary on kind of like the scientific, the scientistic, I guess I should say, worldview where Roy Thomer actually does wind up disproving all of the architects and builders and geographers yeah. who said he couldn't build the cone because he does build the cone. But the people that he never consults, you know, whatever, psychologists or philosophers or whoever about his sister, that's where he fails, right? He fails in making the connection between I've done this perfect, scientifically perfect thing and your own happiness, right? It's that gap between uh science and like humanity that yeah. i think bernhard is trying to illustrate here right like rothammer is correct about a lot of things all of the builders and architects and and people were wrong um but it's not enough because his sister hates it and dies there and then he kills himself and so there's this <laughs> gap between like scientific perfection and truth and actual humanity right the how thing that you can explain the how, but not the why. You know, it's uh, he never consults his sister once. He has an excuse for why he shouldn't. Right. 
Yeah, which is like an interesting point because I, th- I mean, just reading this, I think of of Bernhard as being just like a dickhead. I, I just I feel like he was a dickhead. But that's a wholesome view of the world. I would say is that like, you know, the the end of the book ends up being pretty tragic and everyone dies or whatever. But you're right. Like, science isn't the answer to everything, and I think that's what he believes. But it's it's that is I, wholesome. <coughs> there's here. I got some other stuff underlined uh but it goes um but don't we always immediately see and seek meaning in everything we see and think uh everything is what it is that's all if we keep attaching meanings and mysteries to everything we perceive everything we see that is and to everything that goes on inside us we are bound to go crazy sooner or later i thought like it it, it, um you know he's at once discrediting the idea that you need to inquire further while like also being critical of people who do not inquire like there's so many contradictions to Reutemer by the end that like it it does kind of and this is where I think and again I'm annoyed because I, I, I just don't know enough but like I feel like there's a little bit of a l- little secret Hegel that he's also kind of championing here like uh Opposites and destruction creating a new thing constantly. The synthesis, and that actually being like the the closest you're going to get to like some kind of relationship with reality. But I I don't know. Yeah. Once again, I'm looking to you as as a. a I know even no 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 no. no. I know even less about Hegel than I do about about Wittgenstein. Um, But I do think that you know. There's certainly a uh, Reutemer is certainly Hegelian in the sense that he's operating towards what he sort of sees as like at least the end of his own personal history, which is his sister living alone in the cone for the rest of her days. One one of the things that I th- that I thought was interesting about that whole kind of uh, situation is that we don't get any sense of what Reuthammer plans to do with himself while his sister is living in the cone. I mean, he talks a little bit about going back to Cambridge to doing, to do some more scientific work, but you almost get the sense that like, he's going to be lost if, and when this goal is achieved, right? Like this is what he has dedicated the last, I think it takes, I think it's like six years that it takes to conceive and build the cone. Um, once the cone is built and his sister is living there safely, what's his plan? <laughs> you know, it, it, I feel like that's never fully explored psychologically or, or, or narratively. Yeah. And he's done more than just build the cone. You know, he's, he's done all of these uh, symbolic gestural things with, uh, selling Alton and, uh, paying off his, his brothers who he hates Yes. And his his parents are both dead. And, uh, yeah. I, I think that's another really interesting family dynamic we could talk about. I mean, I think, the, I think the family stuff is really, like, in some ways the core of the book, along with the narrator. Because his father, who knows that he hates his ancestral home, Altensam, purposely... According to Roy Thomer, and then this is again the question of sort of reliability and unreliability. Um, according to Roy Thomer, his father leaves him Altensam in his will 
on purpose to sort of spite him because he knows he hates it and he knows he wants to destroy it and will try to sell it. Right. Rather than one of his brothers who might try to preserve it or live there or whatever. And so he views this as sort of like the, the final act of spite from his father, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, as opposed to like a vote of confidence ever, you know, that's never even floated once. No, absolutely not. And then there's just this like, yeah, th- th- there's, I mean, he's already done for, it feels like. Because then with his sister, it's just all this creepy, creepy shit where he's like, I, you know, I, I've watched her since I was a child. Uh, in a, But he's like, and I promise it was scientific. Like, I'm just doing, I'm doing science. Like, I'm just watching her and I'm. I'm making sure all her physical processes, and I'm also accounting for her emotional state. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking yeah. a catalog of all that, and I'm making sure I've logged it so that uh, at some point I can create an entire profile on her so that her body and soul are mine to be objectively understood, and then I can build a cone. <laughs> and it's build like a cone for her. And you're, you're being like dismissive of the fact that some people might go like, that sounds insane. Yeah, and it kills well, her. And there, there's like a surprising lack of any weird sexual nature towards his relationship with his sister, but you can't help but like fill in the break the blanks a little bit with it. Yeah, yeah, you know, true that because uh, it's you know he's never had a romantic relationship, he's never been with anybody, and uh, yeah. like his entire worldview seems derived from. Like most people, like like a very Freudian concept, like derived from uh, just his crappy family dynamic. Like he's just like the way he thinks about the world is a result of the fact that his uh, parents hate each other. The house is divided between siblings. There's a punishments meted out, and uh, people are just vying for like control. And he's Do like, "That's that- how it is." for everybody on earth and that's basically like where he gets that notion do you think that bernhardt believes that like having that sort of intellectual capacity which i kind of believe that he thinks he had in himself um do you think that he believes it's some sort of like curse for a human to have that and that's part of the theme of this book is to like yeah i I'm definitely picking up on the like idea that mi- or fuck this is funny because it's like I'm picking up on the the theme that um, just your your notions right the fact that you can abstract yourself out by multiple degrees to the point where you're like you're hating other people you're 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 embarking on a project that engages you intellectually but is is premised on mistakes on a very fundamental level like for instance about how much you understand your fucking family members like your sister uh your hot sister yeah, she was hot you're probably she seemed <laughs> hot maybe she had cone bo- like cone maybe he built cone boobs for her to like a cone yeah bra she had boobs. sort of like a, a madonna sort of uh, yeah like like return of the jedi style cone boobs <laughs> <laughs> it's off the but rails you, too quick but just basically like how like you know it, it, i i would say essentially how 
it's so easy to get into your own head and to just embark on a journey from one false premise out to you're just fucking in outer space. You don't even know what's going on anymore. You're like, you've created a cosmology derived from a single data point that was already wrong to begin with. And like now your whole yeah. life is, is ruined. Uh, and that's the danger of abstraction and the danger of like, um, I don't know, taking a stand even. Uh, if it's mistaken, it's it's destructive. Well, and there's also this theme in the book of of Roy Thomer kind of like obsessively wanting to break away from his what he sees as like his parents' pre-established world for him of aristocracy and you know sort of pomp yeah. and circumstance and like here's what you're supposed to do and 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 Roy Thomer is kind of obsessed with this idea of like breaking that and trying to get out of that world. Um, and he, you know, he talks about how, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, what, what I would classify as, as basically antinatalist talking here about the sort of the crime of bringing other human beings into existence yep. and how terribly parents the always treat their birth. children. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I, I, I have a passage about it, but, um, I'll just read it, I guess, because I think it's it's another kind of like, rel you know, in, relatively important theme from the book. That's why I no longer go to my parents' grave either, because to go on living with such a lie afterward could have only been the most destructive effect on everything else. But of course, a man can never really liberate himself from anything. He leaves the prison into which he was propagated and born only at the instant of his death. We enter a world which precedes us, but is not prepared for us, and we have to cope with this world... If we can't cope with this world, we're done for. But if we survive, for whatever constitutional reason, then we must take care to turn this world, which was a given world but not made for us or ready for us, a world which is all set in any case because it was made by our predecessors to attack us and ruin us and finally destroy us, nothing else. We must turn it into a world to suit our own ideas, acting first behind the scenes inconspicuously, but then with all our might and quite openly so that we can say after a while that we're living in our own world, not in some previous world, one that is always bound to be of no concern to us and intent upon ruining and destroying us. Beginning with our earliest flickers of intelligence, we have to explore intently our chances of making this world that's been put on us like a worn shabby suit of used clothes, much too tight or much too large, but in any case, a shabby and torn and ragged and stinking outfit handed to us, as it were, off the world's rack. We must explore the whole surface of our world and its subsurface to keep probing it deeper and deeper so as to discover our chances of making this world, which is not our world, our own after all. Our entire existence is nothing but concentrating on such chances and on how, in what way, we are to change this world, which is not ours, ultimately to change it. So Roy Thummer. <laughs> And that's a, such a counter to the, like, return to tradition thing. True. Yeah, that's fair. Like, uh, you know, the idea that continuity is is a uh, straitjacket that you're, you're born into without yep. your consent. Yep. And I think, it go, I think it goes more to your last point, Matt, about even if this idea is wrong, as long as it's not that fucking idea, I'm going to the mat with it. Right. Yeah, it's more like these commitments to 
reactions to prior states of being or ideas, you know? Yes. Which is why I, th- I think it's, it's more kind of, I, I, it feels like a, crit- if it's Wittgenstein, it feels like a critical engagement with it. And, and it's a, and I don't think Reutemeyer is supposed to come across as a, uh, like a guy you're supposed to be like, wow, what a, what a honorable principled like intellectual that I want to be. It's more like, fuck, this guy's from a shitty family and uh, he's ruined him, his sister's life and his whole life. And he killed himself. <laughs> like, I feel like it's, it's pretty straightforward almost like you don't go this path in the very least. Yeah. What do you think, Paul? What do you think about that? Is is the book I glorifying agree. or or not glorifying Roy Thomer? I think that as it presents itself, it's not glorifying Reithammer, but it, it's hard to to take Bernhard, Bernhardt's own point of like a real point of view out of the picture, especially knowing that he loved Wittgenstein so much. So it's a, uh, I don't know, I don't, I can't totally answer it. But I mean, at, just reading it as a text, yeah. I mean, it, it it seemed to me that he was, he he didn't like, really really like Reitheimer as a character. I think that he was like a strong person, or a good person. I I, I do think the book is is generally pretty pretty dark though and misanthropic, even if it isn't endorsing yeah. Reitheimer's specific type of misanthropy. It's overall like there's not a lot of hope for oof. other people or anybody at all. I, I just have one short paragraph that I want to read. It's not a paragraph because there are no paragraphs in this book. It's no, like, no. but it's like six lines. Okay. This is on two fifty nine map. Okay. This is from Roy Thomer's papers. When we wake up, we feel ashamed. Waking up is always the frightening minimum of existence. So Roy Thomer, April 9th. The situation is always the same in rational terms. Wake up, wash, get dressed, work, see people, don't despair, try not to despair. April 11th. We accept, April 11th. We answer the letters we receive, no matter whom or where they come from, not because a trap has been set for us in all of these letters, April 13th. If I had not become involved with the art of building, it would have been something else equally terrible. And I think there's a sort of fatalism, right, about the world that we're born into. So the last thing I read was all about trying to change the world and whatever. But also towards the end, and that, that, that what I just read is from the last 10 pages or so. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, think I Roy, Thomer, Roy Thomer sort of comes to this fatalistic view of his own fate, but also the fate of, of everybody, basically. But then, on 265, I'd realized that everything I described in my manuscript was not so. That everything is always different from the way it's been described. The actual is always different from the description. Altensam and everything connected with Altensam, it's different. Dover, Brussels, Cologne, I had to recognize that everything in my manuscript was all wrong. The characters are different. The character is another. So Reuthemer. My brothers came forward to meet me in Stockett. I had the evidence that everything I described was all wrong. 
Even before Dover, I'd started to make corrections to the manuscript, and little by little I'd corrected everything and finally realized that nothing in it expresses the reality as it actually is. The description runs counter to the actuality. But I drew the logical consequences from this insight, so Reutemer. I did not hesitate to correct everything all over again in the process of correcting everything all over again, so Reutemer. I destroyed everything. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Just a Hail Mary d- d- denial of everything preceding it. Right. <laughs> well, and of course, and this is one thing that I didn't love about the book because I kind of got it before it was made super explicit. Suicide is the correction, right? Yeah. Like the correction in the title is suicide, basically. And that's yeah. sort of Roy Tomer's ultimate view is that the only way to truly correct for everything that we've gotten wrong, that we've done wrong, etc., is suicide. That's the ultimate correction. And there was a passage towards the end that made that a little cringily explicit for my taste, if I'm being honest. Um, because I kind of got it. And then it and then it's just basically kind of laid out. Um, but I think that that, that that kind of fits with that passage that you just read, Matt. Yeah, because he talks about his. Uh, yeah, do you? He's talking about his family members all all offing themselves. For yeah, yeah, he's got uncles and cousins, and cousins, shit, yeah. and then tons of people. I did think the passage about his cousin who jumped off the 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 cliff into the rock cleft was really touching. Where he goes up and tries to see where his cousin killed himself. Yeah, I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, but still, Austrian you know, like, beauty. <laughs> austere austrian beauty <laughs> so you, you yeah you do get the sense that like he there's a precedent now for his behavior too right yeah. like he 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 has uh people who've paved the way for his gesture a bit you know what this book to to, to name drop a couple other books that we've read in the show you know what this book reminded me of a lot it reminded me of a few books, actually. It reminded me of stylistically. It reminded me of uh, Krasna Horkai, obviously. Fuck yeah, dude! Yes, the wolf, yes. And the last wolf, and Herman, which we did not record an episode on. Lost episode. For I don't you. remember reading that book at all. It's it's the, it was the two very very short novellas. Uh, the about it was like the the gamekeeper who like the hides last away. wolf and Herman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of. It's stylistically very similar, if thematically different. But it reminded me thematically, and maybe more importantly, of two other books. It reminded me of Sleep Has His House. I was going to say Anna Kavan's Sleep Has His House book, uh, which is a sort of more first-person narration of someone reckoning with a weird-ass mom. Uh, and trying to figure out like what to do, and stylistically not entirely unrelated, um, and it also reminded me of the real life of Sebastian Knight, the Nabokov novel, where you have a narrator trying to piece together the quote unquote truth right. about a sort of idol idealized third figure, um, and I think that all of that is kind of coming together in this novel where you have uh, you know someone who's left Reutemer's 
literary and intellectual legacy, trying to piece it together, a la the real life of Sebastian Knight. And then when you actually start to dive into that legacy, it's mainly like weird. In in, in the Kavan novel, it's not Freudian technically or per se, because it's a daughter and her mother, not a son and his mother. But diving into that sort of Freudian effect that your parents and specifically your mother have on the rest of your sort of intellectual and psychic development. Kavan reacting to psychoanalysis. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's like a major issue with Freud in general, though, is that like he just didn't write or talk about the the daughter in the scenario. Yes, correct. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. At this point, you can obviously project parental misguidance on uh, a male or a female or a they or them. Absolutely. But the, dad, the dad gets a fucking pass, dude. The dad like, gets a pass. The mom is like so explicitly and almost uncomfortably reviled. And then it makes the note the I the like fact that the dad is like and dad was like he was just kind of quiet. He was just quiet. He took me hunting. Yeah, like my mom, my mom, she wore disgusting robes and she was <laughs> dumb idiot and she was like her makeup was all smeared all over her ugly fucking butcher's daughter face my dad was like he was just kind of withdrawn like he was just kind of aloof but my fucking mom (laughs) she didn't know she didn't even bathe for days just it was like so pointed it was like very strange do you guys you know did you have a face in mind when you were reading this book of who rahimer looked like Ooh, that's a good question how did i picture roy thomer I mean, I was just I, seeing I a, one. I was seeing like a mixture of like Wittgenstein and like Rupert Sheldrake, like just like a very like. Uh, Who is this person that you've been so into lately, Matt? You shared one of his videos on Twitter. You want to read one of his books on Goodreads? Who is this person? Whoa, chill! You're blowing up my fucking spot, bro. You, they know just, your name. I don't know. I'm just, just to curi- answer real quick, my question: I was picturing uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe mixed uh, with Elon Musk, but like both of their faces. It's like face off. Both their faces cut. I actually pictured uh who who uh Joaquin Phoenix's Joker more than anything else. <laughs> See, I was thinking about makeup. Joaquin Phoenix from Gladiator. Okay, yeah, that you works know? too. That's my favorite performance by Joaquin. That's a great performance. One of his better ones, yeah, for sure. Why won't Daddy love me? Yeah, basically. <laughs> dad. I love that. He poisons him, and he's like, Ugh, I get the <laughs> So good. Or for my, maybe it's Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones, who also kills his dad. Nice. Although yeah. in the books, right, he's supposed to be like sc- way more scarred and like weird looking, right? He does get he has, scarred. Like, no he, he's got a scar in the show. He does, but in the but book, it's like in the book, his nose get, not gets cut off. Yes, yeah. For, he yeah, has like correct. just holes, like a skull. Yeah, he yeah, has like skull red nose. skull by the end. Yes, yeah. right, right. <laughs> small, uh, small I don't know much skull. about Sheldrake. Uh, he, he's a British biologist who has some like admixture of like he ha- what i like is he he he's rubbed elbows with like a lot of uh, s- 
weird figures in like sixties, like England. I watched the interview you shared on Twitter. Uh, he had a lot of nice jabs against uh, Julian Huxley, Aldous's dad, uh, and that guy's a monster. Uh, and uh, he has a, a a theory that I just wanted to know about about um it's called a uh, morphic resonance, which is supposed to be a somewhat scientific explanation, I think, of like uh, uh, notions of um, telepathy and things like that, um, and how like uh, the the living world is conscious in ways that are like broader. Like, yeah, it it just seemed kind of interesting to me. Til- so uh, all, okay, now now you guys are deep into the Spinecrackers lore. Yeah, here. you're you've come. You've come to the, the, the deep lore section of the Spinecrackers podcast. And if you're still listening, I know scientifically, thanks to YouTube and podcast analytics, there's only about 3% of you left. The elect. <laughs> Is that true? Yes, yes. By this point, it's about 5 to 3% <laughs> of wow. people listening. People don't listen to the fucking scores? We should probably highlight the Harry Potter thing. And be like, at you, if you listen at the end, you get Harry Potter talk. We should do that, because that's a sad... But anyway, sad I, I don't know about this Sheldrake guy, but telepathy and all that shit is 100% real. And you, if you're interested in it, I don't know about Sheldrake, but the guy that I know is a guy named Dean Radin, okay. who, re- did, who did a PhD at like Princeton in psychology and science shit and he did a bunch of postdoc work at harvard and uh there are some weird ass experiments out there that show some fucking crazy shit look we don't know nothing i do telepathy is real (laughs) no 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 i don't mean by that i didn't mean to say i deny i'm saying the world is mysterious still yeah and therefore telepathy is something that i absolutely buy into as well as ghosts uh aliens are statistically real Mm -hmm. these things keep keep it spicy and uh you don't even have to like be uh i fucking love science rigorously against them because they, they they certainly there's arguments that they're around yeah i mean statistically there's probably a cone in like northern canada too that yes. we don't know about in the what would be the equivalent of the forest the the tim horton forest <laughs> <laughs> there's right. a maple syrup there, there, forest <laughs> you can buy all dressed potato there's a, chips there's a cone there's a cone of hash browns in the tim horton forest <laughs> In Saskatchewan. <laughs> oh, I was thinking there's also, there was this, uh, just a random aside too, is uh, in like, there was this, uh, 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 so in 1917, right, when like the Bolsheviks took power, uh, the interna- the Fifth International or whatever, the Comintern, uh, there was these, uh, architects called the constructivists i believe who were like doing sort of like state sanctioned architecture theory and one of them was vladimir tatlin and he wanted to make this uh this it was called the tatlin tower it was never made but it was like supposed to be this uh 
distillation. Like, it was going to house the offices for the new government and all this kind of stuff. And it was, like, two helix staircases going up with, like, rooms suspended uh, in decreasing size, but increasing, like, uh, hierarchical, you know, importance along the helix. And it was going to be this big, somewhat conical tower uh, in, like, 1920. They were, like, trying to get it get it going, but it didn't happen. Uh, another thing you wonder if Bernhard knew about or read about. Yeah, definitely, like, architecture at, like, definitely, like, uh, he was into architecture, especially, like, the, it feels like the out there, use hyper-theoretical um, parts of architecture about, you know, phenomenological experience within it and like activating human right. poten- human potential and like is there anything more pretentious than than high art uh architecture <laughs> not in my certainly but it's up there this I've, is I've a, talked to yeah. some stu- pratt students about it and it's uh it's uh God. sometimes it's pretty rough yeah you know what I, they think yeah i mean i went to what's gonna do to a human brain i went to art school and had at my yeah, I had a roommate that was like a design student and I always hated getting into conversations about like how design can affect the world and I yeah, I, so that's <laughs> yeah. tainted my that's tainted my view of of architecture, like high art architecture and being a pretentious person in general. All right, before we go to our final segments. I, I, I just want to read one more passage, if that's okay. I, I, I just feel like it's important to read the writing from this book, which we've talked about a little bit, but I just want people to try to, 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 to get a sense of it. And this is, uh, you know, I mentioned briefly that I wished that sort of like final theme, the final reference to the title wasn't made as explicit as it was. Mm. And I want to read that passage where it happens because it, it, it's well written, but it bugged me. Like I'm like, it made it, it. It almost performatively made me feel like Bernard was doing the thing that I've been accusing him of, which is that thinking everybody is stupid, that we wouldn't get the point that suicide is the correction, which sure. is obvious in the text, but he needs to make it this much more obvious. We don't ask those we love just as we don't ask those we hate, so Roy Thomer. Actually, I'm shocked by everything I've just written. What if it was all quite different, I wonder? But I will not correct now what I've written. I'll correct it all when the time for such correction has come, and then I'll correct the corrections and correct again the resulting corrections and so forth, so Roy Thomer. We're constantly correcting and correcting ourselves most rigorously because we recognize at every moment that we did it all wrong, wrote it, thought it, made it all wrong, acted all wrong, how we acted all wrong, that everything to this point in time is a falsification. So we correct this falsification, and then we again correct the correction of this falsification. And we I read this passage. The, you read the whole book, didn't you? <laughs> no, I mean, I read this oh, passage on read the it. podcast already. Oh, you already did? <laughs> Shit. Was I in the bathroom? No. I don't know. Yeah, I must have I don't have think been. so. Anyway. <laughs> You can keep going though, because no, I, I think don't know it was if you're in the bathroom. Maybe you were. Yeah, maybe you're going further. It was really early on. It was like one of the first ones I read. Anyway, <laughs> I guess I won't finish then. But no, go ahead. Go ahead and finish. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have cut you off. I should. No, have I, I, no, no. You should have, because that's stupid. But 
at, I mean, just just at the end, you know, where he talks about. Um, we didn't really know all these people, characters, because their self-correction took us by surprise. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been surprised by their ultimate existential correction, their suicide. That just felt a little over the top to me. Like, we get it. The the correction is the suicide. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the yeah, the, the mistake of your birth, I guess, you know, like... The mistake of your birth and and the fact that your birth plants you into a scenario that you oftentimes cannot fully correct for and therefore you just perpetuate problems. Um, it's like the yeah. Rust Cole nihilism of just, you know, you should, yeah, it's Rust should walk off <laughs> yeah, it's into the Russell. distance and just die in the desert or whatever. Yeah, humanity was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Our consciousness was a mistake, right? Because animals don't have, con- yeah. Right. Right. And it's like... Rust correction. Rust correction. <laughs> of course, at the very end of uh, True Detective, spoilers, he becomes like a... Kind of a Christian. Wholesome boy. He come, yeah. yeah, he does. That is important. You know, to me, it looks like there was always darkness before the... I forget what he says, fuck. So cringe. The last line, though, is very cringe, even though I love that. I've watched it, like, last week for, like, the fifth time. I love that show. Right. It's cringe. Like the the, the end stars, is cringe. Something about the stars. Yeah. Season two is not that bad, dude. It's pretty it's good, bad. actually. I'll watch it again. It's pretty good. It's darker. I would, I would argue that it's season. even darker yeah. thematically. Yeah. They all die. Basically, pretty much. Yeah. Yep. I like. I'm a huge Colin Farrell fan, so I, I was just disappointed after the epic season one. Watching Correction, season two, Farrell. Like, Fuck. What did I say? <laughs> no, you said Colin. Just, you anything said Colin. that starts with CO is correction. Oh, yeah. that thing now. <laughs> the corrections, John Franzen. I thought. I, I thought I said like. I thought I said like Colin Frazier by accident or something, and he was like, "Correction." <laughs> Speaking of Franzen, I mean, we don't have to get into this. We're already we've gone long, but uh, I guess not for us. It's two hours exactly. But okay. speaking of Franzen, I just I, I just wanted to bring up like what you guys felt about or ask you what you felt about the difficulty of this book because we talked about in our earlier episode about where we just sort of general book talk. The notion of difficult books, which is sort of hot all, perpetually Always, yeah. in the sort of Instagram, booktube community, like people just uploading videos about quote unquote, like the most difficult books, the Gaddis and the McElroys and the Joyce and the this and the that, and just slapping <laughs> their fucking cocks on the table for having read those books. It's interesting to me that that Bernhardt isn't in those conversations having read this book, which was my first Bernhardt. It's not long, like some of those books are, 800, you know, this book is 300 pages. I think that's important, though. But I've read some, not, not some of the big ones, no, not McElroy and not Infinite Jest and whatever, but I've read some of those long, difficult books... And I can say that this was up there for me in terms of the toll that it took on me subjectively. Uh, And I would even say, I would even go back to what you brought up earlier, Matt, Bayes Cathedral, which is like 50 pages shorter than this. That book's like 250 pages. 
And, and that book took more out of me than any of those other books, arguably, to get through. And, and, of, course, font, and of course, Mackie has an even larger collection. Uh, I guess I just wonder, like, why someone like Bernhard isn't in that conversation. Is it only because it's shorter? Is it because he doesn't use words that you don't have to take time out to look up in yep. a dictionary? 100%. Like, ah, it feels like such a stupid standard to me. I'm sorry. Yeah, Not to just, get into it. It's just length and vocab, dude. I, I really think those are the two, the double that really just make the difference. It's just, it's not a thousand, you know, it's not, it's not over 500 pages long and uh, the vocab isn't, isn't crazy, you know? Yeah. I, I really think those are the two things that most people uh, uh, assign as like, yeah, dude, I really, I, I've been through it. Like this was a smart person's book. <laughs> that been, demanded, been, I was in the war, man. Yeah. Dude, I had to go to the dictionary like a bunch of times, and like you know, yeah, like that—that—that's what defines most ninety percent probably of like cultural commentary on hard books. Are you are you specifically asking about Bernhardt then, and why he isn't in the in the picture? Yeah, just because like I felt like this book was exhausting to me to read, uh, like, and I think that that's part of Bernhardt's intention. It's like yeah. a challenge to you. It's like an active one too. It's yes. like he is making it not fun, and I think he he knows that on some level. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna say it over and over. You little book reading sub, <laughs> you like that? You like books? Read this one. Yeah. Well, someone was also describing like uh, the like um, benevolent dictator kind of experience where uh you know every new piece of information feels weightier because of the repetition it's she was like uh this whatever reviewer was like it's like hearing somebody go like i opened the door the door is opened i turned the knob and opened the door i opened the old door the old door opened i opened the old door i opened the old red door you know what i mean and you're just like i opened the old red door which opened yeah, and you're just like so you hear the, that it's red after all those repetitions, and you go like, "Oh shit!" You know, it, like it has a little more weight to it, the, right. the the new data because you've heard the same shit too much. And wow, it's so fascinating that the door is red. Wow, I mean, that, <laughs> that's like I think that's one of my major. I mean, we're gonna get into it in the final reviews, but I I was trying to look for a clip of this show I just watched called One Punch Man. I know both of you probably don't care about this, but I need to see. I love it. One Punch Man, dude. I love it. Oh my god, you watched it? Yeah. It's so it awesome. Yeah. Dude, I gotta read it. Very it's good. so funny. But do you remember the scene where Genos is explaining to one one punch man like why he wants to be his disciple? Yes. And he's just <laughs> it it's like four it's like four minutes of him just being like, I wanna be your master, you're so amazing at punching. I want to be, and he just like keeps rambling on and on about like why he needs to be a better fighter and why <laughs> yeah. he like isn't strong enough. And it's it's so funny because that one punch man, is, the animation's hilarious, and he's just staring at him, just like fucking stop talking and just, and he finally screams like, just say what you need to say or whatever, just like say right. it. And I was thinking of that scene the whole time reading this book. It's just like. 
why you why are you being so difficult when you you can clearly say what you're trying to say uh yeah imagine if one punch man was trying to uh obliquely engage with wittgenstein though and that's mm. where i feel like <laughs> that's why it that's why it's the way it is to my mind it's just like a guy who's like well it's not that easy you can't say nothing unless you yeah. demonstrate that you can and it's just like yeah <laughs> yeah well so okay before we get to everyone's favorite segment let's do a little easter egg for the real spinecrack heads out there mm. where would this book rank for you all in terms of the most difficult however you interpret that term books we've read for the show i'll go first because i have to pee uh second behind base cathedral easy answer um, shoot, man! I don't even know how many books we've read total. This is episode. This is going to be episode thirty-seven, I think. Thirty-six. Yeah. Um. Fuck. I'll just put you on. The, I'll just put you on the spot more. That this is also an easy number two for me. I think. I think Base Cathedral gave me a lot more trouble. Uh, but then this is number two. Yeah. It's just oh we can hear Paul so clearly. Uh <laughs> I just wanna let that sit. Um just forgot to mute himself. This is the real Easter egg for the spinecrack heads. You're hearing you're hearing Paul take a tinkle. You can hear his flow. Um Yeah, Bait Cathedral is up there. But it, you know, again, like you were trying to I feel like insinuate, like difficulty is is not locked down to any certain parameter. Like Base Cathedral. Base Cathedral, it felt like re it felt more um it was just cuz it was layered. Like uh it felt like there were so many valences happening at once all the time. And uh right. You were constantly having to like account for all of them and like at least assume they were there and therefore like try and think about what might be being said. Uh, and to, 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 to throw a bone to all the dictionary weirdos out there, if you think there's a lot of books in, or a lot of words in Infinite Jest that you don't know, read Base Cathedral. There's so much like musical, like obscure musical terminology in that book that I had to look up. There's <laughs> all like fake yeah. words too, like words that don't even make sense where they are. Yeah, and you know, like. Infinite Jest is like uh, there's a giant chunk of just like you know, oh my god Neil po I just read Neil Postman or something you know what I mean there's <laughs> right, like right. there's like already a, a you know, but for this one yeah the the fuck man yeah may maybe number two just because there's also um this it feels like. Uh, presumption or precondition of, of maybe you you needed to have engaged with philosophers which is not something that's happened at least as overtly as this in most of the other things we've read um, right you know too. the other one that's other not one? an episode that's not an episode <laughs> wait what which one Youmsville. Youmsville. oh no it's not an episode it's not real the other one I would throw in there is is the Ah Chang book, The King of Trees, because I feel like that one 
That's just it wasn't, culturally. It wasn't philosophers, but you had to know a fuck ton about Maoism and the Cultural yeah. Revolution for that book to make any kind of sense. That was more historical context yes. being outside. But but again, that. like, why is that never thrown into the into the discussion of difficulty? Maybe I'm very on, true. I'm, maybe I'm on my fucking hobby horse now, but. No, you're right. I mean, difficulty is in and of itself a kind of um, reductionist thing. And I think, like, I'm going to stand by my initial definition of it for most people, even avid readers. It's uh, it's just length and vocabulary. Yeah. I really think that's what it boils down to for a giant chunk of it. Wait, well, so where where does this rank? This will be, this will probably be number... I'll put it at number three. Behind I'll which two? Base Cathedral and uh, King of Trees. Oh, okay, sweet. I yeah, do want to throw uh, the Museum of Unconditional Surrender in there, too. That was a difficult That book was tough, to too. For similar reasons to King of Trees, historical yeah. and political reasons. Mm-hmm. But also just like the rhythmic di- like deposition, or I don't know the word, but like the, the rhythm that she wrote in was very hard to break into but once you got it it was enjoyable this was the only one and that a lot felt of different like points of view in that book too but yeah yeah that one jumped around that one was like it felt like so many things uh and then this one was thematically maniacally focused and <laughs> yes. and it was like the repetition that would have been the off-putting aspect of it and that was what made it difficult right too it was like you're just like i okay okay you know Okay. It was like it was like listening to Elon Musk's brain <laughs> if he was evil and loved cones evil. and not cars. Yeah, oh, he, he is evil. evil. Yeah. yeah, he is evil. many people have have made it this far yeah but here we are we just did read another book it's time for to classify the characters in the book into harry potter houses that's right yay yes so whom's do we begin with um the sister does she get a name no. Yeah, okay. The <laughs> sister is unnamed, right? Okay. I feel like, I feel like there's more there. than we think there are. Yeah. But it's still more few. characters or Yeah, more, more characters. Yeah. yeah. But you also get it, it's such a threadbare account. Because it's all through Roy Thomer. Yeah, it's like really I, two, but then I really yeah, I feel like I can only classify two. You I think we could, okay, fine. The sister can be, I, I think we can do three. I think we get enough of Holer. I think we can do Roy Thomer, the narrator, and Holer. Well, I have my ideas about, I mean, I think for me it's pretty straightforward and it, it does cleave to the stereotype, but I think Holer and the narrator are puffs, basically. Yeah. I think Holer is a Gryffindor. Mm. Holer uh, basically inspired the building of the cone in the first place 
Because he was such a giga chad that he was like, I'm going to build my fucking house on the cliffs of this raging river for no reason except that I want to. And everyone says that I can't and I'm going to just fucking do it. And then Roy Dahmer basically is like, I'm copying you, except I'm going to do a cone in the woods. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? You're right. Hitler is definitely Gryffindor because he... Does not like, yeah. He 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 precipitated all of it. Maybe Holder's a Ravenclaw. I know, like, maybe a Ravenclaw. that was a little bit reductive because I was just saying Holmdor's a Gryffindor because I think not Holmdor, he did strong. because he's a Chad. Yeah, not all Chads are Gryffindors. Yeah, no, he's like because like he's brave, but it's not, um, it's not demonstrative. Like, he's not performing for anybody, he's not, you know, it's it's quiet. But he's also it's puff. Kind of, it's kind of performing though. But he's also arguably puff because he never leaves the land of his birth. He's very loyal to like his <coughs> native space. And he builds he stays there and builds a home there even when his friends leave. I'm sticking with Gryffindor for Holler. I'll say Gryffindor also. Yeah, me too, I think. He just forges Hufflepuff ahead. Wouldn't do it. He didn't need all of the trappings that Reutemer has. Reutemer is is Ravenclaw, but like the bad kind, like the yeah. pointy-headed, oh, yeah. like uh, just only cogitating, like to the destruction of everything else. Like he's he's having a tough time. Yeah, I think Reutemer's bad Ravenclaw is pretty easy. Yeah, clap. definitely. Yeah, and the narrator definitely Hufflepuff. Narrator's narr- easy clap puff too. Easy yeah, puff. narrator's puff, dude. There's no yeah. question. You can't just obsess over your your high school friends manuscripts and like start talking like them in your own writing without being off. You know, he just like becomes him almost. I actually read one review that, that thought that like uh, the narrator was some sort of doppelganger like figure and he might not even possibly be a real person. There is some weird towards the end of the book playing around with pronouns between Reutemer and the narrator where it's he yes. and I and we and they it, it, there is some weird stuff that goes on in the last you know 30 or 40 pages of the book uh, where where it almost feels like Reutemer starts to take over the narrator's voice in even yeah. in reciting his own or, or reviewing his own papers but but you you did read that passage I think Gabe or Paul, like, uh, I think it was Paul, right? You, you like, about um, being infected by an idea and, like, right. like, like, having someone eventually, if you're, like, too obsessed with somebody's own way of thinking, they're just, they own you. You, you are possessed by them spiritually. It's just yes. ideology kind of, you know, a little bit. So that's what I thought that was about, was, like, this dude who is so... He is he again, it's like this whole critical triangulation of the of some kind of truth. Uh and the the narrator represents like the guy who is a sympathetic ear and wants to like account for his friend. Um, but he's the type of person that will just like you know, the the, the strongest personality that he knows will be the thing that just sinks through him. Like he will no longer be himself, right? And so that you get that confusion, and that's Hufflepuff. that's Hufflepuff. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Hufflepuff for sure. 
All right. All right. Scores. Gibbs not Oh, I beat you. I beat you. No, you didn't. What the hell? Matt, you're. No, Gabe, I you won, have to right? go first. Oh, yeah. Fine. I totally won. <laughs> yeah. I saw I think, it. I think your internets are on delays. So, nah. just for the <laughs> no. record. No, I totally. I, uh, I totally. My ping is good. <laughs> ping. I, um, XPC. I had XPC. I, uh, I went back and forth on this book a lot. I, um, and I, you know, I went back and forth a lot about kind of how much. Both about both about what I thought Bernhard's actual views were and how they were expressed in the book and how much I should let that affect my view of the book, right? So there was like four axes on which I was like swinging. Is this Bernhard's actual views? Is it not? Does it matter? Does it not matter? Um, I enjoyed reading it. I think... Probably more than Paul did. Uh, almost certainly more. Um, I I want to read more Bernhard. Uh, it's it's like a it's like a it's like a four point oh seven for me. I think. Whoa. Holy Better than I thought you were gonna say. I, again, I mean, I came I came down on a few passages and and ideas that I. That stuck with me, so. Mm-hmm. Holy balls, above the four marker. That's pretty crazy. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Um, I mean, I think you guys barely probably, okay. Yes, I mean, <laughs> still, I, was, I don't know. I mean, you guys can probably guess because I, I'm so. I, I take so many books at like face value and how they're written that I can't, like, separate that from my rating or reading of a book. And I mean, the one the one positive aspect I will say is that, like, I, I don't like style over substance, but there was enough substance in this book that even though the style of writing was so obnoxious and unreadable to me and off putting and it's not a book you can pick up and just like enjoy, obviously, um, but there's enough there underneath that it, it wasn't masking the themes of the book. Like, I think that some difficult books, difficult written books can actually be, like, simple when you take away, like, oh, this is, like, crazy vocabulary. But underneath all of that, it can be really simple and boring and, like, oh, that's fucking obvious mm-hmm. and stupid. This book still had unanswered questions and interesting themes. So it's not a terrible score I'm going to give it. Um, I think I'm going to give it a solid three. Yes. Nice. Clean. All right. Clean. clean. I like a clean score. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I, I had a. I was like, definitely had a love hate thing going. I was like, uh, I was seeing the repetition and the and the sort of relentless nature of the prose, and I was like, what is? Come on. And then there were these moments where I'd get locked in. Uh, it, it did really depend on mood and whatever the fuck, but like, you know, like Gabe was saying earlier on, you know, um, I could go past my threshold because of just reading it within like the time frame that we had to finish it, and that would be unpleasant. But there, in the smaller doses of about 20 or 30 pages where I was like fucking locked in. 
and I, I liked that very much. Um, yeah, the kind of takeaway, though, um, I liked... I like the approach of triangulating it between characters and how there's there's a lot of like I think I think there's a lot of presumed theory and familiarity with uh, philosophy and all this shit that I, I I didn't really have but I I kind of like trying to engage with it. Um, still pretty grim, which I I don't know if I necessarily buy the kind of maybe conclusion you're trying to, you're gonna draw from something like this. So. Three point seven. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I think I one one thing I forgot to say is that like I I don't like the engagement with like if you need to to know philosophy or prior text to like get into the mindset of an author I don't like that and maybe that's just me. Um. But it, it, it adds like a layer of not like knowledge that the reader needs to have in order to engage with it fully that I'm just like, you know, the simpleton to me is just like, write a fucking book. Right. Well, I, don't like, think it's, that, no, I know. But that's like, that's OK, dude. That's Cliff, though. That's every book should stand alone. There's no context. I don't know. I don't agree. I with also that. think it's, well, I also think it's doing that. What you're saying, it's just also referencing the like inspirations for the concepts engaged. I don't think it's not trying to on its own terms, get you to like think about those things more forwardly without having to do all that shit. I think it's just like also saying like who the author's thinking about when writing, you know? Yeah. And I guess in this book, he didn't, did he ever clearly say like Wittgenstein in the book? Yeah. 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 I think Matt read a passage where, Okay. It's not like uh, Reutemer is Wittgenstein, but it's like Wittgenstein's name is dropped a once. A few, yeah, once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. But I think in general. And Bernhard wrote a whole I book have. about Wittgenstein later. Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. also trying to account for a little bit, whatever. I don't have to justify my score. Fuck you. <laughs> That's the attitude. Yes. Uh, I was trying. So I, yeah. I, think, I think this was unique when it was published uh, in terms of style. Even even considering people like Joyce and Wolf and whatever, just opening a page and seeing no fucking paragraph breaks and nothing, I, I, I do think that was unique, even when the book was published. And so, Bernhard's famous. He's never really been out of print. Uh, yeah. He did ha- make uh, an impact. He is some sort of unique, you know, f- literary figure. So yeah. There's a reason for that. I'm going to go watch Coneheads and watch it in a different way. Ooh, I like that. That's a good fucking movie. Good movie, dude. (laughs) All right, well, uh, thanks for listening. This has been Correction by Thomas Bernhardt, and we are the Spine Crackers. Go follow us. Instagram, Twitter. Facebook. Patreon. If you're a spine head. Yeah, if you're a true blue spine head. Spine head. Join and, us next uh, week for a different book. Yeah. What, what is the book next week? Next week we is... We can say it. I, I actually... Yeah, we have it. Uh, I'm going to be interested to hear what you guys think about it because I think it has some obscure kind of weird connections to this book. It's called All Blood is Black by David Diop. 
It's the winner of the 2021 International Booker Prize. Booker. Yes. I love awards and yes. No, I, love, I, 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 yeah, we'll talk about saying it. saying it was good. It'll be by far the newest book we've read for this podcast. Oh, dude, is it? Yeah. yeah. Is it still bleeding? Yeah, it was published in French in 2018 and in English in 2020, I think. Is it a racially, Shit. is it racial? The black, all blood is black? Is that a racial thing or? You'll have to tune in next week to find out. Guys, these are questions. You'll get answers. Blood is red. Dude. It's blue <laughs> inside your body. Yeah, it's only when it's oxidized. That's true. Nerd. Yeah. Gotcha. Nerd. You're a nerd. You're, no, a, you're, fucking you're nerd, a fucking nerd. Yay. And if you made it to the end, you're a nerd. And if you made it to the end, yeah, you're you a, are a loser nerd. nerd. What are you still yeah. doing listening? We stopped talking about the book like three minutes ago. Bye. 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 We love you.